Yo, what's up, people? Tonight's guest on Gravity Lab Radio is Mr. Jesse Tex Leos. Absolutely one of my favorite guests. Jesse has been on the show a few times. I have laughed probably some of the hardest times in my life on this show, but uh, specifically and uh, especially with Tex. He, he does a great job telling some fun stories. He does a great job telling some really good stories and also uh, educating and promoting safety. And that's one of the big reasons I want him here tonight. He recently started working with Modern Skydiving Concepts, uh, founded by uh, Sharon Harnoy Pilcher and Mr. Luis Pernetto of Fly for Life, uh, both phenomenal leaders in skydiving alone, but most particularly in angle flight and movement skydives. Uh, Jesse Tex has been doing a great job in that arena as well, working with both uh, uh, Luis and Sharon, and also working with modern um, uh, skydiving concepts. I love what they're doing. Recently, Jesse had a workshop here in Houston, lead their, uh, leading skydive workshops. Man, I forget the names and the order of words, but uh, I want to learn a little bit more about it. We talk about movement. We talk about angle a little bit here, but I really want to expose to that next level of detail, A, what you should be thinking as a flyer. But B, what you should be thinking as a leader, what kind of skills and thought processes we're, we're looking at, and why you should attend a Modern Skydiving Concept Workshop. They're doing a great job. They're doing absolutely wonderful. But tonight's Gravity Lab Radio is brought to you by the Rating Center. It is Safety Day weekend. Today is Sunday Pie Day. March 14th, yesterday was Safety Day at a lot of places, including Skydive Spaceland. Uh, for Skydive Spaceland, Texas's, we normally have all our Safety Days local. We uh, all, all cooperate and work together on them, but this year, uh, COVID is hopefully coming to an end. Hopefully, we can start seeing normal interactions again, but we really have been trying to alleviate crowded traffic in some of our packing rooms and public areas, and, pa and Safety Day happens in those spaces, so it was done purely virtually this year. Not too different from the past, as far as we've always uh, had, or excuse me, not always, but the last few years, we have aired these uh, virtually, but this one is purely virtually. All the presentations are just straight to kind of an empty room. It was it was weird as a presenter to speak to little to nobody, but I think all of us had a much, uh, not a much better time. We had a great time. I miss the people. I miss, I miss talking in front of people and interacting with folks, but we had a much better flow. It was easier to stay in the flow. There were less distractions of people walking in and out of the room and waving or making faces, so it really was a great time. A good buddy of mine, Danielli, helped. We tweaked up that uh, production value just a little bit more since we were able to or since we were just focusing on on the virtual uh, presence. So if you got to attend Safety Day at your drop zone, awesome. If you haven't attended at your drop zone yet because they haven't had it yet, please, please do. But also take some time and explore the videos. Go to the ratingcenter.com and check out our, oh, not the website, but go to our Facebook page, Rating Center's Facebook page, and you can find all our Safety Day videos. We'll have them out on a playlist this week, but they're already up on the Facebook page, but we'll make a uh, 2021 Safety Day playlist specifically to make it a little bit easier to find and manage. Watch them at your pace, your time, share them with your friends over the year. Oh, sometime in six months from now, somebody's going to have a problem with a canopy thing or an EP thing or a free fall, and you can share these videos with those friends. If you want to share these videos with your friends, please do. If you want to show them to your folks at your drop zone, please do. We are an open resource. We are there for you. The Rating Center, we do sponsor uh, Gravity Lab Radio, and uh, Safety Day is a huge thing for us. It's one of our biggest givebacks. A huge shout-out and thanks to the guys and gals who presented. J.P. Fernari, who's been on the show a couple of times, absolutely wonderful. 
wonderful mindset, did a great job with aircraft safety. The free fall safety was done by Mr. Chris Fudala, an AFF examiner and coach examiner for the rating center. Henry Pruitt, Hank Pruitt did the emergency procedure review, also an examiner for the rating center. Primary rigging services based out of Spaceland Houston, Mr. Jeremy Carnop and Mr. Matthew Peterson uh, did gear and yours truly, DJ Dumbjerk Marvin, took care of the uh, canopy section. Check them out. Enjoy them. TheRatingCenter.com if you want to look for courses or contact us to uh, book something at your drop zone. Uh, other than that, go to our Facebook page and enjoy our Safety Day videos. Have a good time with Mr. Jesse Leal. I'm the target of a meat missile going 150 miles an hour plus. That got really <laughs> exciting all of a sudden. I'm doing canopy safety. Um, I drive like an Asian, so I don't know if it's the most appropriate thing ever. I'm killing it. Utah, give me two. You're listening to Gravity Lab Radio, hosted by DJ Marvin and Nicholas Lott. Produced by Justin Grubbs. Have we talked about skydiving the whole time? So when we're talking about the texture of, of fries, whether those be regular potatoes or sweet potatoes, are you a crunchy guy? Crunchy or? as fuck. Yeah? Yeah, man. No, I don't want those loose fries. Dude, I love those loose fries. Ugh. I love a smushy fry. Dude, no a smushy way. fry. So you've been to Utah, haven't you? Uh, no. Okay, so in Utah, it's this very much a cultural thing. Every restaurant you go to mm-hmm. has fry sauce. Okay. And, and fry sauce like is ketchup and mayonnaise. Ketchup and mayonnaise. Okay. It's like two thirds mayo, one third ketchup. The Puerto Ricans also use it. They, they call from it the whitest place on earth. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's hard to debate that statement. Uh-huh. <laughs> Mormons did a great job of uh, no procreating. But anywhere you go to, whether it's a McDonald's, whether it's a locally owned, everywhere, if they serve fries, they have fry sauce. Mm. And, dude, there's nothing but, like, mushy fries dipped in fry sauce. Dude, that's my shit. All day. Mushy fry. Oh, man. I've just never gone that. Like, that I've direction. lost respect for Nick. It's just weird. Sorry. I mean, I... So, like, uh, like five guys, right? I okay. like that there's some crispy on the outside right. and still mushy on the inside. That's what I... Because I like the, the texture of the crispy. But like the over- guys' fries are pretty weak, though, unless you get the Cajun fries. Cajun fries are pretty good. Yeah, you I like that. to get a mix of uh, half and half. Yeah, they don't do sweet potato there, do they? No, they just have regular fries and then the Cajun fries. Yeah. Where are you at with Jay Daniels fries? Landing Point Cafe. Haven't had them. Haven't good. Had them. Dude, oh, damn good. My favorite fries. Yeah, they're like, really dude, good. They're dope, man. Compare them to a restaurant that I might know. Kind of like Five Guys, I think. <sighs> a little bit. Yeah. Like the regular ones? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, by the way, we're live. Just okay. We already hit those buttons. Uh, yeah. We've already lost everybody. <laughs> We've already lost everybody. Talking about fries. <laughs> talking about me being a little fat girl showing uh, up with food. I'd say closer to In-N-Out Burger than Five Guys. That's, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. All right. Fair so enough. they're fresh cut. They are. He, he cuts them when you order them. The f- oil he uses is only for his fries. He puts nothing else in them. He actually changed fry vendors or potato vendors because his fries weren't coming out crispy enough and they... Uh, modify potatoes so they come out crispier or a special I don't know what they do but he, he is very picky and makes the dopest fries out there period hmm man I like so like McDonald's french fries mm. can't do it don't like them nope too skinny not into it 
Not at all. I like my fries like I like my women. Skinny as fuck. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> if you met Val, I was, was going to say thick and a little bit dark, but uh, <laughs> whatever. You obviously have not met my wife. <laughs> thick and a little bit dark. Yeah, yeah I mean, buddy. That's just where my mind... I didn't think about <laughs> Valerie. I was just describing the fries that I like. So you're calling Sam thick. <laughs> Dude, for a skinny little girl, she's got some curves. She's got a little butt on her. I'm into it. I mean, I've seen that yoga. She does. Yep. Well... And she's brown. There you go. <laughs> so uh, there you go. <laughs> there you go, guys and gals. Tonight on the show is one of our favorite guests. I say favorite guest uh, because he brings the IQ level down to our level, man. Mm. Jesse Tex Leos, buddy. Every time you're on the show, I laugh my ass off, and just seeing you in person, I always get a smile. So glad to have you back, bud. Yeah, I'm, I'm real happy to be here, dude. That is a sick hat you've got, by the way. Thank you. What's that thing all about? It is uh, a company in Austin. I just came across. Just looks like it reminds me of a someone who drives a retro van, which you also do. That damn right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty much all my favorite colors. So yeah. Hell yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you, what's the company? Is it a clothing company? Yeah, it's called Howler Brothers. Man, Austin has so much good local business. No kidding, right? Like anything like beer, shoes, this hat, like mm-hmm. whatever. It's like, man, you can find good stuff there. Totally. I wonder what it is about Austin that's so I guess maybe it's just that Texas spirit. That's it. I mean, they've always kind of drawn that interesting kind of keep stuff Austin to it. weird. Yeah, yeah. And if you're not from Texas, it's the logo. It's it's what they say. Keep Austin weird. And I don't find Austin weird, but for Texas, Austin is weird. Yeah, I, you know, I'm I consider Austin home still. Like in terms of where I feel the most at home. You, you were born in Rowlett, is that right? Yeah, is that what North I remember? Texas. North tw- Texas. Yeah. Okay. So I still don't know where where it is on the map. Uh, east of Dallas. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so a little bit of East Texas, a little bit of North Texas. Um, but then I'm, you know, I lived in Austin for about ten years, and it's the place where I feel the most at home for sure. It's got that nice mix between like uh, crazy artists and left wing people. And it's kind of like balanced out real well by, you know, cowboys and, uh, you know, a conservative culture surrounding it, you know? How, how would you describe Sixth Street in Austin? Oh, well, I mean, Sixth Street's a shit show. Sixth Street, <laughs> Sixth Street's not really for locals anyhow, but Sixth Street would be your, you know, touristy and college student, you know, Bourbon Street but, kind of atmosphere, but it's, yeah, it's basically bar after bar, lots of live music, yeah. lots of greasy food. Yeah, I think historically that's where a lot of live music and stuff like that was, but now that's moved into different music venues around the city. Um, yeah, because right. you go down to Sixth Street to to get you know hammered. What What's a night with uh, Jesse Tex Leos on Sixth Street like? Have you done many of those? Yeah, not for about <laughs> ten years, but yeah, that was. Uh, so how old are you now? It was a. a or 30, uh, 34. Okay, so put me in time machine. 24-year-old uh-huh. Jesse. No, we don't want to do this. <laughs> Dude, I want to know, I right know what here. it's like. We're live. We want to... Wait a minute. I can quote 24-year-old be, uh, Jesse. Hey, Bill! Uh, <laughs> hey, Bill! <laughs> <laughs> Dude, someone someone asked me the other day, someone who I thought would, uh, would know you a little better, uh-huh. asked, like, is Tex really like that? <laughs> like, is Tex a character? <laughs> a character? Like that? <laughs> the hell is that? I mean, can you possibly be such a manly Texas man, I think was the question. Uh, are you going to tell me who this is? No, uh, I'm not going to throw anyone under the bus. Okay, all right, when we get off the air, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Austin's still home. You've been in Houston for how long? Uh, since 2014. 
So, yeah, five years now. Where would you say years? you live? Well, now in a van. I, now I live <laughs> in a van down by the river. More or less, it's almost a metaphor. Um, uh, I live in uh, Vancouver, Washington now with uh, with Alethea. So we uh, we her brother helped us uh, build a place. He put a ton of work in uh, to uh, like uh, a loft, building a loft there at their kind of family compound, and uh, it's it's been great. We spent all of COVID there, so we spent months and months, and she had just moved back to the States, and then it just kind of made sense that the plan was to put down roots somewhere and then still travel quite a bit for work. It just seemed and, like uh, the thing to do to go from the most conservative state to the most uh-huh, liberal state. Yeah, <laughs> something like that. It is so It's so beautiful up there, though. I mean, you, I just I, I kind of... That sort of cultural difference kind of flies past me now that I've done this much traveling. I feel like if it was... 24 year old me like you said it would have been such a culture shock to be there but in fact uh i'm just so infatuated by the the area and the the environment there that um the cultural side of it the the politics that would probably uh you know get more of my attention 10 years ago now kind of just fly past me so you guys spent uh, I forgot about the the whole shutdown you guys were up there for for the bulk of that, right? Mhm. Pretty much the whole time. We haven't had you on the show since then, yeah. No, I don't think so. What what did you guys do to get through the um, the lockdown, the quarantine? Well, just like everybody else, it was so weird cuz you didn't know is this a is this a 2 week thing when we started? Is this a month long, you know? I mean, we were going to the store getting food, not knowing if the grocery stores were going to have food, you know, uh a few days later. So um, you know, we kind of just sunk into it over time, kept some pretty good habits. though. um, kept my fitness up through the, through the whole thing. Um, I, I just feel real fortunate. I was surrounded by her and her family. It's really supportive, fun people. And I feel like I got through it. Fantastic. Um, when I got back to skydiving, I felt so hungry and creative in ways that uh, maybe I had been experiencing some burnout or something like that or getting close to experiencing burnout before that whole thing. So to me, it was this this mixed blessing of, well, it really sucks to lose that much work for three, four months, but to get back to it and, you know, feel completely reborn by it was um, was pretty great, pretty uh, pretty essential to where I'm at, I think, right now. So for people that don't know you as well as we do, you're a traveling organizer is an, is an easy way to put it? Sure. Well, I like to say coach um, just because I feel like there is a, a, a difference. It, what's, your, what's the difference in your mind? Uh, I guess organizer to me is more of that classic sense of maybe you're working for an event and you don't quite know who you're going to be jumping with and you're just kind of getting groups together throughout the day. Okay, the guy with. I find it a boogie. Okay. Sure. Sure, more boogie, I guess, which is probably what – more American skydivers are accustomed to unless they're kind of in this niche thing that I am in, which is coaching primarily angle flying. Um, and it's definitely for me that that feels like coaching. Like when I work a boogie, it's very, very different from my typical day of coaching. So that's why I, I definitely make that little bit of difference between those two terms. But I know what you mean. I see the difference, and, and I don't know if this will make sense to you, is an organizer will put together a fun jump. Mm-hmm. A coach will put together a fun skill set. And that's what it really is about. I, I'm with somebody to, to get them better 
or I'm with somebody to have a good time. Sure. Both can do both. Sure. But that seems to be the primary focus yeah, in my brain. Definitely. Like primarily they're they're we're working together and I'm flying with them because it's some sort of progression focused, you know, environment versus uh yeah, we want them to have fun, of course. Uh but that's not the primary reason. Is I'm not there as just the safety guard for uh for fun, but it's more focusing on something specific to their skill set. And so this last weekend, no, not this weekend that just happened, weekend before that, mm. you had a uh, leading workshop at Skydive Spaceland that uh, I was privileged enough to attend. Yeah, that was cool not, having not, you in Not there quite for a half of. Man, uh, you do a really good job with those presentations, man. If, any, if anyone in the world is thinking about attending one of these man's courses, good golly, you're going to get more than... Uh, I got more than I was expecting. I mean, uh, not to to give too much away but one of the things that you did that i was super impressed by is had the group kind of brainstorm responsibilities of the leader mm -hmm. and man that list is way longer than what i would have been able to come up with on my own or what i even would have imagined was was on it definitely and what's beautiful about that is is that list is entirely made up by all the participants and whatever experience they're bringing into it whatever preconceptions they have about leading jumps um it's it's all based on well, what do you think and um i mean you you contributed a ton to that just some of your questions fired off us you know fired us off into two or three different directions but which started more conversations and but what a great format first uh -huh. of all and second i think it speaks even more to your experience level that you can go in there and let the uh, participants take it any direction that they want and that you still have the, the knowledge base to, to navigate that whole conversation. Um, it's, a, it's a great course in that way where it's very conversational. Um, the curriculum is, uh, uh, you know, only there to guide discussions in a, lo a lot of times and keep us focused. Um, so I just love the, I love the course setup for that reason. Cause I feel like certainly it, I excel in that environment where it's a little bit more open, uh, uh, open to discussion. Um, but that list, for instance, what I loved about that was by creating that list, it felt overwhelming how many to be things in that do, room. Just to guess, to put in perspective for people listening, how we many probably things? had 40 things written yeah, up Yeah, I'd there? say that's a pretty fair number. Yeah, we probably had 40 things written up about characteristics or uh, or things about a, a leader. And uh, and that list, I mean, we, we just had to cut it off for time. We could have kept going, and uh, we could have had 100 different conversations shoot off from each one of those topics. Um, and it's beautiful because it... Uh, for me, it overwhelms you with the sense of maybe what we're doing. And then we get to now uh, compartmentalize a lot of these responsibilities into formulas that you can follow, uh, whether you're super experienced or, or not at all, and, and uh, feel like you're fulfilling those responsibilities, that gigantic list that there's no way you could check off before every single jump. So Giant yeah. list. Mm -hmm. When you think about that list and you think about the complexity of some of the things on that list and just the length of the list. How do you feel about someone with 200 jumps flying a wingsuit wherever they want? <laughs> um, I don't want to tell anybody that they can't do that. Um, there's going to be some people that are more ready for that than others. Um, so it can be very nuanced. Um, generally speaking, you know, there's, it's going to be interesting to watch their navigational uh, abilities and um, and all the things that go along with it. But 
just like there's really good angle coaches and mentors, there's great wingsuit coaches and mentors. So it very much depends on who that 200 jump person uh, has been exposed to, um, the level of flying they've been around to, of what they can expect to be, you know, a beginner level or an intermediate level, um, really impacts that a lot too, which is one thing that Spaceland has such an amazing part of and why I was so excited to bring that program to Houston because the skill level here is just, it's so high. And one of the big things that I had to continue reinforcing in that, that leading workshop was how accustomed even the less experienced jumpers are here to what I consider to be really advanced environments of flying and particularly doing movement flying in. And, uh, that's super cool and unique to this drop zone because, you know, other drop zones, it may be unheard of to have two or three moving groups on one airplane. Whereas here at Spaceland, it's, it's normal, you know, it's, it's completely, completely normal. And that has been something that has had to been created over time and that we can expect even, you know, less experienced jumpers to successfully and safely, uh, lead a jump with two or three movement groups on there. And so it's expanding what, what people think define as like uh, advanced, you know, what I consider to be advanced, maybe what these new guys are considering to be intermediate, you know, because they've been so exposed as high level flying early on. You, you mentioned, or you talked about the course, like it uh, wasn't your idea, the right. course. Absolutely. Wh- where, where did it uh, start? So the course is by modern skydiving concepts. Um, and it was developed by uh, Sharon Pilcher and Luis Pernetto. And they worked on that course for a few years developing it. And uh, I'm just super proud of what they created. I'm super proud to be a part of of their program. Um, I was the first person to get signed off to be an instructor for them and teach their course, which is... Man, uh, how does that feel? It feels amazing. It also feels... Uh, very uh, interesting when I'm, I was in the room with, with Sharon who developed the course and who I see as absolutely one of my top mentors in the sport and I'm teaching her course in front of her, you know, to, to all these, uh, these people that have never taken the course before. And that was a very, you know, that was a kind of a surreal moment for me of not pressure or, or anything like that. It was just a feeling of being really grateful and really humbled to to be doing this to somebody that I, I, I look up to so much doing, you know, performing in front of them, the, this thing that is absolutely their baby, you know, mm-hmm. they've, they've created this thing. Did it feel like she was uh, defensive at all in watching you make that presentation? Not at all. She couldn't be more supportive, a supportive of your, of your child of whom you're proud of not, not, not someone's making out with your girlfriend in front of you. Yeah, totally. I could uh, see it going either way. <laughs> definitely. Um, I mean, I, I got a chance to sit through a couple courses and then I shadowed it with her and then I, I got to teach one uh, with her in the room, which she helped quite a bit as well. Um, and then I've gone on to start teaching the courses uh, by myself and really enjoying it. Like, absolutely, it has been, uh, it has really lit a fire underneath me again for coaching and, and teaching. And it's it's a place I feel really comfortable. I feel really comfortable in the classroom. And it's really nice getting to balance it out with the jumps too, which I wish you had been able to go on some of the jumps and kind of see how we, uh, you know, evaluate each other in a really supportive way and, and, and talk about, uh, you know, 
how to improve and, and each person's individual, you know, uh, strengths and weaknesses on the jump or on the brief or everything from the airplane to coming back inside. Um, it's, it's really, really interesting. And it's a trip to be working along those, uh, those two people. I was fortunate enough. Uh, I believe this was yesterday. I think this was last last load, maybe second last to last load yesterday, to follow Cody Prentice on a jump. Great, and I mean, he's a great flyer to begin with. And man, I could tell that he was locked in and and some new ways that he wasn't before. You know, like I saw him make a really concerted effort to be near the door. I saw him checking the the spot, looking for clouds, like he really meaned it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could see his awareness of the the line of flight and where he was taking the group and. Uh, Man, it was. He had some of those skills already, but to see sure. him, he was definitely, uh, definitely locked in in a way that I hadn't seen him be before. And when we landed, you know, I complimented on him on it because, uh, you know, it felt super smooth, just like following anyone, any any high level leader that I'd be uh, lucky enough to chase. Awesome. And he mentioned the course again of like, yeah, dude, it's 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 totally lit up my mind in this in this new way. Fantastic. Super cool. Oh, that makes me. I'm so proud of Cody anyways um he told me a little bit about that jump too um he's been somebody i've worked with gosh i don't know we we must be working together now for four five years probably cody prentice and i so i've got to see him at so many different stages of his progression and i just uh i'm so excited that his technical flying skills are just so advanced now because he has such a great mind for it Mm -hmm. you know that now you can really see things fast forwarding and translating super quick to him because he has, I mean, he's such a cerebral skydiver, you know, he's, he thinks so much. Um, he puts so much focus into, into these things that it's, it's great seeing where his technical skills have gotten to because now it's starting to match more of his strengths in terms of, you know, being a, a smart skydiver and just a smart person. And what a nice dude. Yeah, totally. But I'm, I I found a just because we're talking with Cody and I, I'm trying to get him to come on the show. Mm-hmm. I came across uh, he ages really well. I came across a photo of him from you know five or five or more years ago. He had long hair, huh? Uh, was no, that it? he he was he looks the same, okay. same haircut. I'm, I would oh, say you're five ma- years ago. Ma- yeah. Maybe his shoulders are a little bulkier, right? But in this photo, he's standing with a group. Uh, it looks like maybe jump for the rose or something is happening. Mm-hmm. He's standing with a group of. I would look at the rest of the group as belly flyers. And not to insult any of those people because I'm kind of in this category as well. Those people were doing the same jumps then, you know, five years ago, six years ago, whenever this photo is taken, as they're doing now. Not much has changed about their about their skies. And Cody's standing there in a uh, gray student jumpsuit, and he was going on that belly jump. Hell yeah! And I look at him and I think about uh, the you know the diversity of his skill set and how much his skydiving has changed in in uh, that. Uh, it's close. It must have been the same same time frame. DJ's pull up a picture right That's now. That's great. But um, yeah, everyone else in that picture again. No, no insult because again, I'm kind of kind of guilty of the same thing. My skydives haven't changed dramatically over the last few years, but Cody's have, oh, without a doubt. And uh, you know, he started doing you know belly fundamentals and got great at it. And his, you know, uh, there's not a lot of times that I see him doing anything whether it's at the tunnel or at the drop zone that it's not obvious that he's engaged in progress or in learning 100 percent. and me, i, ju- I me, just wanted to come talk about that yeah to me he's that uh he's that perfect example of he he used his uh his focus to 
also fuel his sense of like enjoyment too. Meaning, um, he's not just there to goof around, but he's always having a good time. He's always been having a good time at every stage of his progression. I have felt, um, he never had like an end goal of like, I'll start having fun when I'm, when I get that good. But he's also always brought an approach of like trying to get something out of every, every jump, every session that I ever worked with him was, you know, giving his full focus and effort for that session. And he got a lot of enjoyment out of that whole process, which is a never ending process. So if you can stay in that frame of mind, you get to just enjoy that, that work, that sense of work and focus when you're, you know, skydiving or tunnel flying. And that's to me, that's where I get the joy too is, is a sense of like something I'm working towards, you know, or some habit that I'm building that's making me, making me better at these things along the way. Or somehow just being able to jump in cowboy boots and get paid for it. There's that for sure. <laughs> There's a whole whole lot of weird benefits that uh, that come along. With have you have you seen? Oh, uh, just uh, before we finish on Cody, I really want to get him on the show, and he thinks that he doesn't have anything to talk about that's worth anyone listening to. And again, that's just because he's a really kind and humble person. Uh-huh. So if you talk to him, tell him that sitting in this chair isn't so bad. No, it's great. <laughs> but uh, DJ, have you seen any of those boot co- videos? The Ruho Boot Company. I've seen a lot of them because of our relationship, but excuse me one second. Cody Prentice, you are a phenomenal human being. I greet him every chance I can to, I can when I see him because he's such a phenomenal personality. He might not be Jesse Texelios. He might not be Alethea, who's much... Actually, Jess or Cody's pretty cute. But, uh, man, you have such a personality to offer. You've, you've not reached some of these pinnacles that some of these guys have, but... You've reached more than most people ever have, and, and I really love Cody as a human being, and I would love to see him on the show. So uh, I'm, I'm pushing for it, too. And uh, Nick, maybe I'll, I'll give a second plug and reach out to him as well because uh, his, his drive, dedication, and passion for life, I think, is what makes him an excellent skydiver. Yeah, without a doubt. I'll put my vote in. So what boot stuff did you say? Ruho. <laughs> be, be brave, I think, is their, is their tagline. Hmm. Sorry, I started eating again while you were talking because I'm... Morbidly obese on the inside. <laughs> Man, I'm, lo- I'm looking him up. I'm trying to find him. I'm trying to remember it. But while we're doing that, you jumped in boots. Uh, wh- where did this come from, Jesse? It was a uh, round three productions who Nick and I have worked with uh, several times already in the past. And they ha- had a deal with a, a upcoming boot company um, that needed some marketing material. And I think their, their brand was, what, what was it, Be Brave or something? Be brave, yeah. Be brave is their the brand motto. So they wanted some. Was it some, bold? Be bold. No, it's be, be brave. Be brave. Right. Be brave. Yeah. yeah. And it was. Uh, they wanted us to jump in cowboy boots and, you know, use it for their their marketing campaign. And Nick and I had a good time. It was. It was really it was, fun. It was pretty fun. We started uh, filming last January, I mm-hmm. believe, uh, at, at a private ranch up near Dallas, and on this ranch. The guy estimated he had like 90 deer or something, like a bunch of Axis deer. Yeah, he had a bunch of exotics on it. I remember how, types. how many acres. I'm sure he told us, but... It was a big, big piece of land for and, sure. And uh, the house was beautiful. You could tell that the guy had uh, hunted some animals in his life. There were all sorts of crazy creatures in there. I feel like we may have even talked about this on the podcast. I think, I think we we did a podcast do we, do we right talk, after the helicopter do, do we talk about the helicopter pilot? Uh-huh. Don't worry about it. Oh, my yeah, God. Nobody listens long enough to know. <laughs> okay. Well, we had a helicopter pilot who had never flown jumpers before, was used to flying hog hunts, mm-hmm. and uh, apparently doesn't know how GPS or wind works. 
Yeah. And uh, he did a real bad or, job. Or directions. <laughs> yeah. We, we thought we had made it pretty clear. Yeah. Like, the, the And the problem with the first one, he only flew, what, three or four loads for us? I think we did. Yeah, something like that. But the first one was okay. Uh-huh. The first one, he... Uh, Close enough, you know? Yeah, I think he saw the um, the landing area right. out of the left window the whole time. Mm-hmm. And up until this point, I would have told you that all helicopter pilots sit in the right seat. I thought that mm-hmm. that's just how, how it worked. But he's in the left seat and feel, it feels just like it's in an airplane that he's watching. Like, think about flying your landing pattern, but right. backwards all the way up. That's sure. what he's doing. So he's just watching the, the landing area as he climbs. And then he put us in a pretty decent spot. Yeah. And the people on the other side of the helicopter couldn't see the landing area when we jumped right and so because you're on, looking underneath you're trying to look underneath the helicopter it's just not possible. yeah you can't look through the helicopter yeah. yeah and so on the next load when i couldn't see the helicopter i was like oh well they didn't see it on the last one and this guy did okay so surely everything's fine uh-huh. and then uh I think I pulled a little higher on the first one, and yeah. because it went so well, I was going to chase Alethea and get her opening, yeah. and I was going to pull a little lower this time. Uh-huh. And uh, yep, I knew the moment that I rolled over <laughs> that something had not gone to plan. Yeah, we were over a town. Yeah, over yeah. a city on yeah. the other side of some water uh-huh. towers yeah. that were real far away. I don't we recognize any of this. <laughs> yeah, it took about... Uh, it took about 30 seconds under canopy for me to like really have a real sense of how far away the landing area was. And I mean, it was like flat, you know, when you were looking out towards it. So wasn't, uh, wasn't Wait, making that back. So whoa, I followed, whoa, whoa. followed Nick down. The earth is flat. <laughs> exactly. And birds aren't real. Dude. <laughs> I re- I only recently learned about the birds are fake thing. Yeah. That's a thing. Uh-huh. Dude. Yeah. You really, you what, don't know that. Are they're little robots. Yeah, they're robots. The reason they sit on power lines is that's how they recharge <laughs> at night. Oh, yes. I hadn't heard all that. Oh, dude. There's some dude who... Surely that's not... Like, surely whoever came up with that and started talking about it on the internet knew that they were full of shit. I tend to but believe that. But then there that. are people who are dumb enough... Uh, sorry, world, to talk about you that uh-huh. way. But they, 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 they're like, oh, yeah, or this makes I think, sense. I think, honestly, I'm sure there's probably a fraction of people so stupid that they could believe that. But I feel like stuff like that is fun for people like internet types, you know, that Mm -hmm. enjoy going down those wormholes because it's some sort of like intellectual like uh, game, you know what I mean? To play, to like come up with all these different crazy theories that they don't necessarily have to be emotionally invested in or actually believe. Sure, I mean, it's the fun of tricking a gullible friend into believing yeah, anything. Yeah, it's like, so like hearing the they sit on power lines to recharge themselves, I'm like, that's so <laughs> creative, you know what I mean? Of course, that's not true, but it's so, yeah, that's that's pretty creative, you know? What else do they come up with? And how they probably had to come up with such crazy ideas to build an actual hypothesis. It's pretty, I don't know. You can see the fun in in that like are, sort of nonsense. Are you someone who enjoys believing in conspiracy theories? Um, well, I mean, are they conspiracy theories if they're if they're <laughs> right? You know, uh, yes, I think that they still are. <laughs> um, do I enjoy? I don't. I wouldn't say I enjoy believing in them. I would say that there are some that I'm open to considering and uh, want to know more about. So, yeah. There's that's a I have that part of my brain as well. Yeah. Of like it's kind of neat to know some stuff that other people don't know, and it's like a, a favorite uh, quote of mine. I don't know who to attribute this to. Is it, it's great to keep an open mind, but not so open that your brain falls out. Sure. Yeah. And uh, you know it's cool to think of uh, crazy and new ideas and uh, 
I believe and that- and we know we're the information that we're getting, particularly in, in this time right now in 2021, it's all filtered information. Sure. You know, so it is kind of important, maybe not to go into conspiracy theories, but it's definitely important to to question some things that, uh, especially almost the more mainstream things are telling you that uh, this is definitely how it is. This is 100% a fact. Um, or this is what everybody else is saying about it. You know, it's like, uh, I think it's it's pretty good to go down that rabbit hole every once in a while and just make sure you're you're hearing some other uh, other voices, some other schools of the, thought. The thing that I like, love to compare it to is like, uh, let's say that a reporter did a story about uh, someone that, that leads a lot of angle skydives, right? Okay. Like how, if they make that story, we go home, we watch it on the news. Like how wrong do they get the story oh, generally? Like right. when you see a news story about skydiving, mm-hmm. if you know a lot about skydiving, you know that they missed kind of a lot of the important stuff. Yeah, without a or, doubt. Or, or just got it totally wrong. Right. And it's like, that's common knowledge now. Yeah. So everything that I've ever known a lot about when it's presented on the news and mm-hmm. presented to the public as common knowledge about a thing, it's so wrong. So to me, that stands to reason that, well, most things that I know about most topics is probably just as wrong as what most people know about skydiving. Man, and I'm such a nerd for history and stuff like that. Um, I, I can, you know, I can definitely say I've I've been a armchair historian of sorts. There was a history book, American history book you recommended to me. Uh, a Renegade History of the United yes, States that's is, a, is a fantastic book. Um, yeah, I, I actually just re, uh, started rereading that book uh, recently. It's, man... It's the more you understand history, the more you see certain patterns and things, and the more some particular issues in our society actually seem to be these like these cyclical things that make a lot more sense and maybe in some ways make you more concerned and in other ways make you like less uh susceptible to you know this like hyper emotional rhetoric uh because it's like you see it in more of a historical lens and not this like this is the end all be all kind of moment all the time in uh, current events. I think when uh, people look at history, it's like, oh, well, we're past that. <laughs> like, oh, we did that, and we surely humans. Like those are two learned, people ago. Learn from history. Yeah. <laughs> First of all, it's close, right? It's, right? it's not that long ago. Yeah. What are, I mean, it depends on what we're talking about, but a lot of times it's like, you know, the things that we think we've evolved past or something, it's like, that's two people ago. Right. Three, maybe, you know. But those were still humans just like we're still humans. Yeah. With all the same instincts and inclinations. And it's like, man, I can totally see. With it maybe a slightly less modern, you know, quality of life. Yeah, and, we, we and got and air they, conditioning in Google for real. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so if that's like the thin barrier that's keeping us from the things that we feel like we've evolved past, it's like, uh, how 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 much different are we? And I find that really interesting too. I find that super interesting into how that shaped me. Um, you know, I, I've even find it interesting in the in a genetic sense too of like, you know, what sort of traits am I carrying around based on, you know, that gene pool of those people we've evolved past. You know, supposedly, how much of those traits and characteristics am I taking into this modern world and and trying to adapt them to all these modern influences and and stimulants and things like that you know what is that how am i interacting with that in a unique way because of my particular dna i find that super interesting too do you think about any one specific thing like as you're talking i'm thinking about my relationship with my phone 
Okay. I'm like, th- I guess I'm thinking about like maybe in a more macro sense, not just my relationship with my phone, but maybe just relationship with people and how I handle myself in groups and things like that. Just, I don't know, what was the, the caveman side of me, you know, mm-hmm. like when I'm maybe struggling to be as articulate and charismatic as I want in some sort of social situation. Is that where like caveman me would have just been like, yeah, but I could, I could just beat him up. So <laughs> problem I, solved. yeah, so this is, this is, this is not an issue for me. You know, I, I what is uh what is that like? It's that toss, toxic masculinity. Exactly. Tex- yeah. Toxic yeah. masculinity. Tex- so how do, you know, how do I handle these situations where <laughs> I need be to, a new hashtag. I, I need to, I need to speak this like funny corporate sounding lingo and things like that. You know, that uh, successful people of my age group and uh, socioeconomic background speak like or something, you know, and I just can't, I find myself struggling to conform in those sort of situations sometimes. And I'm like, well, where does that come from, too? What makes that person so, you know, fluid, uh, you know, uh, for certain situations where I, I either come supernatural to me and I feel like I'm, I'm an alpha in those situations or or I just feel super like, man, this is not this is not what I'm like at all. And then where is that coming from? A lot of times I find myself wondering, God, does everyone feel as forced in this situation as I feel? Sure. Do you ever get that? Definitely. Yeah. There's definitely situations like that, yeah. Yeah, like God, is any is anyone like if we were all honest about, what or we're if going I just through, don't give a shit, you know, I'm just like honestly in my head, I'm like, man, I just I don't give a shit, and uh, I'm I'm not gonna get, yeah, I just have trouble in those situations, being like, yeah, I'm super locked in and focused here. This is interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, maybe sometimes I wish I had more of that, but hmm. now really, I want to. I want to talk about modern skydiving concepts, but you, we're on a good sidetrack that I want to talk with you about. We're getting to we, aliens. Don't we got, we got, si- we got we'll sidetracked. Get to, never. I can't, I can't believe never. it. By the way, you have a nice ass. <laughs> um, one of the things that I've enjoyed about you the absolute most good is job. your openness to you. When I say your openness to you, you have grown tremendously as a skydiver and, and really tremendously as a skydiver. I think you've grown more tremendously as a man than you have as a skydiver. Your openness to evaluate yourself your openness to be critical of yourself without destroying yourself. How have you really gotten yourself there? How have you put yourself in that mindset? Well, I really appreciate that. First of all, um, I don't know. That's that's. It's always very difficult to judge yourself, right? It's very difficult to look at yourself and perceive the way ways you've changed and things. So I appreciate you saying that. There's been quite a few people that have told me that recently that it seems like I'm changing a little bit in these different ways. And a lot of times I don't even know what they're, what they mean when they say that. So, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's kind of hard to, to objectively look at yourself, but I, I, I can say that certainly over the past few years, there's been some very, very good people that have come to my life. I feel very lucky, super grateful, uh, for y'all's friendships um, you know, uh, Alethea, all these like really positive influences in my life, um, that have always kind of stimulated a certain way of thinking or, uh, a, just a way of being, you know, more compassionate, more energetic, more focused, you know, more helpful, whatever, whatever it is, these traits of the people that I, I enjoy being around that I can start to pick up on and maybe mirror in a sense and, and take on my own. And then definitely, the realization of most of the things that I feel like I am yet to achieve or even I have achieved have been because I it's it's some level of like self-sabotage we're fighting against I feel like 
that's that's the main thing keeping most people from doing whatever it is they want to be doing. And so I was just trying to get out of my own way in the past few years. Because I remember when I first came on this podcast, things were starting to go really well for me. And I was starting to get all these opportunities in the sport that I just couldn't dream of. And I remember feeling so nervous. I remember feeling so nervous just talking to y'all about it and y'all just acknowledging, hey, it's really cool. You're, you're working that event or you got these camps you're building and stuff. I felt nervous because I was like, am I going to mess this up? You know, am I going to get in my own way here? And that's probably been my, you know, especially the past two years, real mental game I've been playing with myself, like allowing myself to just kind of get out of my own way and, and just stay focused and um, kind of identify the things that maybe keep me from doing whatever it is I want to be doing. We did safety day this past Saturday at Spaceland and gosh, we were about two minutes from the start of the very first uh, seminar, which was myself and Daniele Tancredi was producing the show and he had never seen me just before the start of anything. He's watched me teach canopy courses, but he's never tapped in that private conversation in, in a canopy course. There's people in the room right before we start with safety day. Nobody was in the room, but those of us producing safety day. And at some point he goes, are you nervous? And this is two minutes before we start. I'm like, yeah, I'm nervous. He goes, you still get nervous? And Valerie was in the room, laughed. Mm -hmm. She's like, always. And that's something that I I think you just kind of acknowledge and and admit is I constantly and I still get nervous. And rather than worry about that self-sabotage, which can be a true concern, whether worry about how to, am I going to get my own way? I embrace it because I think that's what drives me is I'm nervous that I will fuck it up. I'm nervous that I will get I won't I will get in my own way. I'm nervous that I I will say the wrong things or do the wrong things. But then I have to step back and say, wait a minute, say what you know and don't say anything else. Sure. I think for me, too, it was just like just paying attention to the processes that started to help me achieve success in the ways that I wanted to be successful anyways. And then maybe seeing the unique parts of myself that make that easy or hard and then um, start to enjoy the process of creating habits that reinforce whatever it is that's going, you know, going well for me. So starting to enjoy the process of, you know, studying or, uh, you know, paying more attention to my body uh, or, being creative and practicing and training and and doing all the things that maybe uh, along the way, those processes become the thing that I enjoy the most about it anyways. So I'm not focused on, Oh, am I, am I going to mess this up somehow? You know, but actually just enjoying the, the, the habits that created the good things that have come along too. But inevitably, you will make those mistakes. Inevitably, sure. you will fuck up. I do it all the time. And there isn't a course I teach that I don't walk away from thinking, why did I say that that way? Why did I do that that way? We all have that, that negative talk, that talk back. Um, how much does that occur for you? And how do you deal with it after the fact? I think it probably occurs all the time. I definitely I feel it in my coaching where I'm trying to say something in a different way that's going to resonate with this student. Um, and then maybe later on, I feel like, oh, dang, I forgot about that one little drill I could have tried with him in the tunnel, or maybe I could explain it this different way. Or um, e- even, even you know, every six months to a year, I would say in the tunnel, it feels like some technique has changed a little bit or way of describing it has changed. So I, I see it in myself where it's like certain students that I've had, now I'm kind of describing 
the same thing, maybe not completely differently, but in a different way than I would have a year ago. You know, if I if I had said that now, I would be like, nope, that's not how I would ever say that. You know, that's not the way I would look at that that thing. And now I have to look at myself and my students and be like, yeah, actually, you know, instead of trying to do this, I want you to do this. And they're kind of like, well, okay, interesting. So they're part of my evolution as a coach as well. That's such a perfect word, evolution. And I love how you just own that because as coaches and teachers, we commonly will trap ourselves into a conversation that we're not, af- that we're afraid rather to get out of the way of. Like, but that's not what you said a year ago. Well, yeah, I'm a year smarter than I was a I year ago, so, yeah, right? Sure. And as a coach, as an instructor, as whatever you are out there, I would encourage people to do just what you said and be open to your own evolution and your own involvement. Evolvement. Uh, I think what's critical about that is just being surrounded by people that are exposing you uh, or challenging you. Um, and yeah, without that influence, how can you really, how can you really be open to anything anyways? And then also what are you going to pick up? So at uh, no point should, you know, along your, your progression, should you stop having peers and mentors? Because if you do, well, you're definitely going to lose that student mindset that's out the window. And then your ability to grow is just, you know, solely on you somehow, which is going to be this vacuum of what you already know and what you've already seen. So that's not going to be helpful at all. So be, putting yourself around people that challenge you is going to be uh, like critical to that. We all know the saying, surround yourself with people you want to be like. Um, I also want to surround myself with people who aren't afraid to call out my fucking bullshit. Sure. One of the reasons I actually like you is if there's something wrong with me, I have no doubt you will tell me there's a problem. <laughs> and I, and you'll do it respectfully. You won't sit there and be sure. a dick about it, except for maybe for fun because we're friends. Right. Uh, Nick will definitely call out my shit. Stephen Boyd will call out my shit. And, and God bless each one of those good friends. Mm-hmm. Surround yourself with people you want to be like, but not with yes men. Yes men are such a dangerous thing for life. Definitely. And... In the sport, it can be real easy when you're coaching to just get caught up on your own, you know, the, your own theories and your own ways of describing stuff. And, you know, you're just in this this cycle of just regurgitating all the stuff that you have worked through yourself. And maybe along the way, you're polishing some stuff off and you're making a little bit of progress here and there. But without that inside uh, outside influence, uh, it's it's really tough. So one of one of the things that I enjoy um, about coaching is when I go to events, I get to be around other coaches doing exactly what I do and continue to pick up on new ways of explaining things, um, different perspectives, uh, maybe even have my own thoughts and theories challenged. Like, Hey, I overheard you explaining this thing. We explain that to me like, well, but I don't really see it that way. I see it this way. And, um, there's some environments like that, that I get to be around, um, and it, it's, it's absolutely the biggest benefit for me because I feel like I go back to school in those moments. And then when I come back to my own students and, and build my own events and things like that, then I feel like I'm still, I'm still progressing. You know, I'm still putting myself in a position where I can, I can be challenged from time to time. And then flying wise, the, the technical side of being a professional in the sport is, you know, you need to, you need to be really good at flying. So also, uh, being around people that challenge you, not just mentally and with your, your pedagogy as a, as a coach, but your actual physical abilities and how good a flyer are you? 
and it's really really nice you know the, the looking to build just looking at your hat you know I, watching that video that uh, Nick just we, we finished could, we could tell the world that looking to build four is, is done ah uh, it's fucking flipping you, ha- you haven't seen the whole th- you haven't seen the beginning no I missed that piece yeah well and without the beginning it's phenomenal. I've seen the beginning of a two-way. I'll explain that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that alone the, is the video, and the, the whole thing's fucking off. The intro up. puts that two-way into a little bit uh, a little bit of context. Yeah, yeah. It really it it sets the stage for uh, yeah, just the theme. It's real nice, man. If you don't know anything about looking to build, here's the easiest thing you need to understand. Nick Law edits it. Guru Kalsa, is that how you say his last name? Mm-hmm. Never know. Guru Kalsa uh, puts together this event and he brings together some of the dopest homies, including people like uh, Tex here, and just some of my funnest, coolest, most laid back, but yet most skilled friends all come together and do this event because they want to have a shitload of fun. And I almost see it as a selfish event, which you should have. If you're a professional coach, if you're a manager, if you're an examiner or whatever, you skydive for you. You don't skydive for everybody else. Now, I believe you have the same passion I do, and it's sharing with others. Watching somebody else like Cody Prentice succeed just gets me excited, dude, right? Right. But we have to invest in our own time. And looking to build is a bunch of shredders just investing in themselves and having a badass time. Nick, how soon is it coming out? I mean, I have a Vimeo link that I could send you right now. Mm. That's how soon it's coming out. Oh my god! So there, the you know that in the recent uh, past, I've put a big effort into finding songs that wouldn't be caught like on Facebook media filters and YouTube and whatever. I fully did not do that on this video. <laughs> I was just like, man, I want this video to be as fun as it can be. I don't get to make nearly as many videos as I used to, so it's not like. You know, it's not like I'm going to get another one next week that, I, you know, whatever. It's right. like, hey, I'm going to consolidate all the fun and enjoyment of making this video. I'm going to make it as fun as I can make it. And so, yeah, that song, the, I don't know how it's going to do on the internet, especially on Facebook. I did try and upload it to YouTube as an, like an unlisted video just to see if it would stay. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, flagged instantly. Okay. So it's on Vimeo. Uh, right now, it's on my personal Vimeo just to, just to make sure that Vimeo is not going to start to... Uh, scrambling our plans but spaceland has a vimeo channel and i bet you that's where it's going to end up when i left the drop zone today if, if you don't have a paid subscription for vimeo which i don't think spacelands is a paid subscription yeah the upload limits 500 megabytes um for it might be a weekly limit or something like that mm. so i was rendering a version that was going to be less than 500 megabytes mm. and so uh as soon as I can get logged into Spaceland's Vimeo, write up a description, uh, it'll be ready to be shared with the world. It's going to be incredible. I, I, yeah, I mean, if you're a skydiver and if you enjoy watching skydiving videos, it's you're going to get so sucked in by this video. I mean, it was it's incredible, man. You, it's, yeah, it's I feel like you outdid yourself. I, I hope. I really hope that that's true. I, I, I and, 100% you know, like, feel like well, you did. I have nice and supportive friends that are going to tell me great job no matter what. So I don't know like by no, what I'm, metric I'm supposed to measure it. But like to, to me, I, I feel like looking to build two is like the standard of like how good it can be. You know, I like agree. For, for in my own personal <laughs> skill set of video <laughs> editing, it's like man, that one that one worked. Sure. 
sure. And there was, you know, it was a lot of contributions from a lot of people, including the the intro idea for looking to build two was Tinley's idea of That's like, true. yo, Tex has that van. Why don't we remake the 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 <laughs> scene from old school? Mm-hmm. And luckily, we were all too busy slash lazy to try and film that whole thing because <laughs> the way that I figured can out you, how to can you just for a second. I thought about that the other day. Can you imagine what a pain in the dick and also how fun and ridiculous it would have been to try and recreate that whole scene, particularly the van shots? If you haven't seen old school, there's shots where the van's like peeling out and sliding around corners and running into shopping carts and a grocery parking lot. I mean... We we would have had to go all out with those shots yeah. for them to to look familiar. It would have been a lot of fun. It would have been a lot and of fun. It would have been three weeks. We totally <laughs> underestimated how much work it would take yeah. to get that many shots. But luckily, I was able to superimpose all of our stupid faces on those people, which I I think I think it was as funny as it could have been if we actually filmed all of it and nailed it to just put our heads on there because it's like. Funny in the way that like the original South Park episodes are funny. Sure, exactly. It's, it's just it's like ridiculous, it's ridiculous, it's and kind of shitty. And uh-huh. hey, it works. This totally. is fun. Speaking of that, that intro, I don't think I tell you uh, told you about this. I had a really funny interaction with uh, with a group of guys from uh, Virginia, Virginia Beach area at UPT Flight Camp in Eloy this past uh, December, and absolutely cracked me yeah, there, up there's metallica in the background of that it might get us pulled just, just <laughs> thank you up. i was well, i was trying to slowly creep it to find out um, <laughs> so. so the intro the intro to old <laughs> the to old school these these guys loved looking to build too they they were like fans of it and uh, i guess the the final part of that intro when i yell go time <laughs> <laughs> like for some reason, just like extra killed them. You know, you know how something sometimes with your group of friends just like makes you laugh a hundred times harder than than it maybe does the normal person. Yeah, because you, you're biased for that person. Exactly. Impacts it. Yeah, like I know that guy. And so this group of guys that I really really enjoyed jumping with, they were really fun to be around. They had like adopted "Go Time" <laughs> as their like go to phrase. <laughs> And their girlfriends and wives were there at the event, too, who also skydived. And they were like, you have no idea. Because they were telling me, like, the, all six of them that were there were telling me, like, oh, no, it's like, like, it's our core group of guys, like, you know, catchphrase all the time. And the girlfriends and wives were telling me, they were like, oh, my God, I have to hear it a hundred times a fucking day. Dude, that makes me so indescribably uh-huh. happy. I, I know, me too. That, I was that- just like, no way. And then... <laughs> The the girlfriends would be like, you know, it'd be like, uh, uh, hey, uh, Will, breakfast is ready. Go time. <laughs> they would just be like their eyes rolling out of their head, hearing it for the 10,000th time. You it know? makes me feel really bad for those women. Oh, but how great so is it? so happy that, that like when I think about like that that something I did attributed to this being part of the legacy left upon exactly. the world from exactly. my presence, That's it's uh-huh. like, yep. Totally worth it. Yeah, totally worth it. Made uh, made some people laugh, and it's funny because yeah, I've known a couple of those guys for a few years now, and then some of them was the first time we'd ever met, and they had taken so much joy out of that looking to build two intro and that one line, and had just taken it and run for years. That it made me so happy, man. It made me so happy to hear. Man, making that was a lot of fun. Uh huh. Like I, I took the 
Oh, we were dying the whole time. Yeah, but uh, even even like just making the soundtrack for that scene, like mm-hmm. you were there, I kind of gave you a totally. break, breakdown of everything that went into it. But every sound, like if you haven't seen the movie Old School, uh, there's a fraternity and they're collecting pledges for the fraternity and they're driving around in this black van that looks like the A-Team van, mm-hmm. causing havoc and kidnapping people who are definitely too old to be joining a fraternity. <laughs> and so we redid this scene when I put... Uh, I superimposed our heads over all these <laughs> other characters in the movie, and it was it was real silly. But I couldn't use like I could use the footage from the movie, but I couldn't use any of the sound from the movie because people were already talking, right? So I had to rebuild the the whole audio track, which meant noises of the van, noises of the crashing shopping cart, uh, noises of the footsteps, noises of the tackle, noises of the splash into the right. water. Each one of those pieces I had to either record myself in the in the video room at Spaceland uh-huh. p- pounding things together, or try and find the sounds online. And once it was all there and adding in the voiceover, which some of which you came in and did, which was right. super fun because like, dude, like that yelling sh- into a microphone. Yeah, because it's so silly. It's ridiculous. And it's like doing like doing the edit of the stuff that we shot the other day for this mm-hmm. intro. Like I'm in I'm in the video room by myself or editing it at home by myself, just laughing. Sure. And it's like just like a joke with a buddy, like when there's someone else that's there. Yeah. Dude, it's just like it's so much more fun. hundred percent. But uh, man, recording that that nonsense and then getting to press play and have other people enjoy it while I get to enjoy it for the first time. Yeah. Is man, it's so fun. Oh. It, that premiere of uh the latest looking to build just something else, man. Something I, man, else. I I don't know. I don't. I I. It feels good to me. I really like I, it. I I I love it, man. I really really love it. I think. I honestly, I think you've outdone yourself. And I, for me, it's one of those videos where I would get so much joy out of that, just as a fan of flying, to watch that video. So, despite the fact that I'm in it, if I wasn't in it, for instance, it would it would do something. It would charge me up. For sure. I would feel like I have to rush to the drop zone to jump. I have to I have to like be in a video like that at some point. You know, like you are, you're a big reason I came to Spaceland in the first place. That's so that that is like the most flattering thing you could say. But it's it's true because his Live Bigs videos yeah. back in the day were just mind blowing to me. And I was just getting into skydiving. And just got a job at the tunnel in Austin, and then this opportunity to that there was a tunnel opening in, in Houston near Skydive Spaceland that I had never been to before, but I had seen the Live Bigs videos that I was obsessed about. That I just uh, I had to I had to make a move to a different city to go to a drop zone that I had never been to before, just because those Live Big videos inspired me to pursue big way flying. Well, that's uh, awesome, man. I, yeah. I, I, that's that's real flattering. I hope that's true. That's one hundred percent true. Yeah, 100%. but it, like that's like uh, I I feel, you know, I've spent a lot of time at my computer being able to 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 make a video like that. Mm-hmm. But I still feel like it's uh, you know, without all of my super awesome flyer friends giving me that footage, like I would be nothing without it. Like without the footage, without people giving me that stuff, I couldn't make that video. Sure, but I can't enjoy that jump for the rest of my life in the way that I can when you edit it like that too. So that's that's the art of like I'm watching something that I did that maybe sometimes didn't even feel that amazing in the moment because I'm so focused on on performing the exact way. But now I get to like have 
infinite enjoyment for those moments and just like feel like they're they're captured in a time where I get to see all my friends that were there that you know we that group of friends may never be back together all in the same place definitely probably not doing that sort of thing you know and I get to relive that constantly every time I watch that video that's amazing well I get to relive a country boy can't survive in my head over and over and over <laughs> which is for the last uh, three nights has been stuck in my head as I try and go to sleep but uh, it's a good soundtrack. Mm-hmm. It's a good soundtrack. Yeah, the music in the video is great, too. You said you're cutting it down to put it on Spaceland's Vimeo. because I, I just have to render it to a smaller size. And we lose a little quality there? Maybe. I, I didn't get to watch the... Um, I mean, it, it, it stands to reason just, hey, if you have a video of the same length that's a, faller, a smaller file sure. size, it's, you're probably going to lose some, some quality. I haven't watched that one yet to see how it is. I, I have a, a paid subscription to Vimeo for my personal account that I almost never use. Like The last time I used it was to upload the film festival video, and before that was another year before that. So I don't use it very often. And it's not that much. It's you know it's maybe twelve dollars a month or something like that. So that's what I was gonna say. It's only a few bucks for for the film festival. We've had to pay for a subscription to Vimeo to upload some videos mm-hmm. and then just cancel the subscription because once they're there, they're there. Mm-hmm. Upload sizes no longer exist. Um, I have some friends in the sport. I have some people in the industry. I'm positive we can get that twelve dollars paid for. I'll pay yeah, for it out no, my it's, pocket. It's fine. And it's it's upload uh, the full version. Uh, just let's get the whole quality out there. Yeah, it's I, covered. I uh, I'm sure that's what'll end up happening. Good, but um, I just want to see how it how it looks at at a 500 gig file versus or a 500 megabyte file versus I think it rendered out at like 1.2 or 1.3, so it's half the size. But uh, it seemed to be taking a really long time, so maybe the compression's just real good. I don't know, but uh, I'll I'll see it tomorrow and, and decide. I'll Venmo you the money right now. <laughs> it's not about the money. Can we get a fund going for these twelve dollars? I can. I'm a starving child from Africa. Can you please okay. give me twelve dollars so you can you watch my skydiving movies? Twelve dollars. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. I, I'm not sure, but uh, a GoFundMe. We can do that. Could someone Go, start a GoFundMe yeah. for this professional. Okay. Video how page. How about I'm just gonna do it right now while we're talking? But so you guys will shut up. Let me log out of Vimeo from my account. I'm going to go ahead and put 25 cents down. <laughs> I hate you so much. Oh, it's so funny, man. Um, I it remind, Sorry, I got distracted now as well. One of the uh, real reasons I wanted to have you on, uh, Jesse, is, hey, you're just a good dude. But I really wanted to get into this uh, modern skydiving concepts and leading workshop. And in skydiving, historically, um, are you dead? What's your, what's your, you know, we're going to say it out loud. Um, you yeah, know, we'll say your Venmo out loud. Everybody give Nick Lott money. Fuck yeah. Don't do it. Um, I got uh, it. Uh, the, God dang it, I lost track. Okay, uh, safety. So safety day we just did, and some just quick recaps. In the late 70s, we saw the peak of fatalities, and that's when equipment was dramatically changing. And in the uh, 80s and early 90s, fatalities didn't change much by number. But in the late 90s through 2000, 2010, we've seen a dramatic increase in safety. The fatality index is going down. The number of people dying per 100,000 jumps was 0.39 per 100,000 jumps last year in in the United States. And what happened in the late 90s that made all of this safer? Education. Mm. And something that people are always about is enforcement, rules, regulation. Fuck that bullshit. If you know me and you know my place in safety and training, people really quickly get shocked to know that I'm not about rules, I'm not about regulation, I'm about education, I'm about culture. 
And the thing that I've been <clears throat> super impressed with in our sport is how our culture has grown and changed. A great example wingsuiters started falling out of rigs. I'm sure you've heard this story over mm-hmm. your life in skydiving. And it was, it was a, a, a bunch of them or a group of them in a short time frame. And now can you go to a loading area and hear wingsuiters not tease, poke, or junk, joke, joke about your leg straps done up? Mm. And the thing there, I'm not making fun of wingsuiters. I'm praising them because they very, very quickly self-policed. Sure. We are a great self-governing sport. We're not even obligated to the FAA as far as skydiving goes in the general sense. And we're not actually obligated to USPA. We choose to self-govern. And as good as wingsuiters have done, the next generation of new innovative skydiving is movement. Mm-hmm. And uh, Sharon, Luis, yourself, and and you might argue if you should be included in that group or not, but by far you are a leader in that group. Uh, you guys have done such a good job helping build the culture in the community. The skydivers themselves have been a huge catalyst. You guys couldn't do it without it. Without a doubt. Dude, mad respect to the movement people, the movement groups. Yes, there are some rogue pockets of any type out there. Yes, in some cases, those rogue pockets are ignorant. They just don't know anything yet. Sure. But you guys have done such a great job spreading these words. USPA, you were, I believe, part of the subcommittee uh, that USPA put together recently to, to put movement flying into the sim. They're recommendations. They're not regulations. These are good ideas to follow. Um, I was actually part of the committee that wrote the policies for Spaceland. Uh, for me, I have no understanding of movement flight except for it moves. I was talking with people like Dan BC. Uh, what's that guy in Eloy? Oh, SNTA. Brian Burke. Thank you, Brian Burke. Uh, Luis Pernetto, Fly for Life guys. Uh, I think you were actually part of that conversation. I know Jay Venendal was a big part of that conversation. And what I've seen, USPA sent it to me pretty quickly as well after you guys, before y'all, your committee got it, and then after. And what a wonderful job, man. What motivated, like, do you know the background of modern skydiving concepts? Do you know what was a catalyst to get these guys to start it? Well, I think there was just a need in the community to catch up with the popularity of the discipline, uh, to catch up with the education of it, the teaching of it, the safety aspects that are unique to movement flying. So basically there was a there was just a big void there, really, as this uh, this niche dis- discipline became more and more popular uh, in the skydiving community. And then it became very clear that there was a real need for education and, and some sense of standardized, you know, uh, ideas and theories about uh, safety on movement jumps So um, and how to teach that. And they were really the first to... Uh, I felt provide a really, really easy to follow and engaging curriculum in the way they have with the leading workshop program. I got involved with it before the program even came out in a sense because um, I was actually working on a similar program myself for about a year, year and a half probably. I'd been uh, starting to work on a leading workshop of my own in my own head and in my notebook. And I started to develop even like PowerPoint presentation type slides for it. And I was starting to test it out with some younger jumpers that were coming to me with lots of questions on how to lead jumps and what should I be thinking about and all these really, really basic questions. And I was kind of doing this de facto leading workshop with some of my students already. And I started to bring it to Luis and Sharon. 
I started to show them some of my curriculum. I was wor- working on some of my notes and things like that. And just it, because I knew through word of mouth that they were doing something very similar. And one, I didn't want to step on toes, but mostly I was just like, well, someone's going to do it, whether it's y'all or, or it's me or both. So I have no problem none of this information is proprietary to me. I mean, they're the people I've learned how to fly from. So none of these thoughts are are unique to me. So I just started showing them my notes and having these discussions with Luis about how difficult it is to create this sort of, you know, program. And they were nearing the end of completing the leading workshop. And once I saw the product that they had, they had created, I was enthralled by it and, and, was way more attracted to the idea of uh, joining that than continuing to do my own, you know, trying to do, uh, create my own uh, program just so that it would be different or something like that. Just the idea of getting to team up with, with them and their knowledge base and their their outreach already, it made so much sense to uh, to be a part of it. We're stronger together than we are apart. We're stronger in numbers. We're smarter in numbers. Something that you said earlier uh, is the word standardization. And to be part of that larger collective helps with standardization. Uh, A lot of people will ask, why is standardization so important? Would you care to address that? Well, I mean, it's just how we achieve the the basic fundamentals of uh, safe movement flying. You know, Uh, just identifying what some of the most uh, baseline things we have to achieve on a movement jump, which would be to like get off the line of flight and stay out of other groups airspace and be able to make it back to the drop zone with your group. You know, these are the, these are the basics of it. So now reverse engineer that and you realize how complex that can actually be. There's so many different variables that can go into every single skydive. There's so many different things that, uh, uh, that change based on, what other groups are on the airplane, what kind of airplane you're on, you know, where you're at, what the terrain's like, what the drop zone rules are, all these kind of things that, that can go into it. So having some sort of, uh, you know, collective agreement on what a safe movement jump is, uh, what that looks like, and then reverse engineering how we can do that and how we can do that with all these different potential variables that come up uh, at, on a skydive it was a no no small feat but definitely necessary because of uh uh just how popular it was getting we all look the same inside we all have skeletons all our skeletons basically function the same we look very different outside and to me standardization is a skeleton it is the structure it is what keeps us upright it is what keeps us strong it's what keeps us there and then we build off each personality your drop zone has its own issues paris valley for example it depends on which way jump run is on which way they allow movement flight because of restricted airspace not sure if you've jumped there right um so everybody's going to be different and i think that standardization is really important important for that structure and I do want to touch back one second to you said this is the best structure, the best curriculum, the best thing you've ever seen. I will say I've been very blessed to be able to see many and most people's uh, uh, information out there, their written information, the written versions, just because of the work I get to do with Spaceland and then with USPA as well. And yeah, dude, there's no comparison to what they've done. There's no comparison. Modern skydiving concepts is it's the next level for sure. And it's so unique because it's so engaging and conversational with the class too. It's, it's not as if, uh, you could just pay for that and just be handed over the, the curriculum 
because it wouldn't make sense. You know, uh, the course itself is is an experience in and of itself, uh, like the classroom stuff. But also, it's uh, it's an experience in the sense that like you're hearing from all these different perspectives that are in the room too, not just the instructors. It's not just a lecture series, but you know, the course is, uh, so helpful because if you've got somebody that's a professional angle flyer in the coach or in the course and somebody with 200 jumps, that's never led an angle jump, but wants to know more about tracking, um, you're going to get very different perspectives, uh, in, in the same course. And it's only going to expand the conversations. So that that's part of what I find so unique about it. So, I actually think I just got caught off guard a little bit. Who can attend the leading workshop courses? Well, we don't really have any like uh, set baseline. We want people to be able to participate on the jumps. So I guess that's what it would come down to is so generally speaking, two to 300 jumps uh, or more with some tracking experience. Um, However, we're open to making exceptions on the course too. So for instance, this, this last course, I, I allowed uh, Billy Whitaker to, to sit in for uh, some portions of it because he's working on developing a, a program for the, the Belly Mentor program that's going to involve a little bit of movement and tracking on their, on their jumps. So he wanted to learn a little bit more about it. So he didn't participate in our group jumps, but the theory side, he got to be involved with somewhat and, 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 uh, and listen in. So it kind of varies, you know, I've had courses where the entire course was all professional skydivers and tunnel flyers. Like I had an Elsinore about a month ago. And then I've had courses where someone has never led a angle jump before. And you know, they've got 250 jumps. Um, but they've been following now for since pretty much a hundred jumps, they've got 150 angle jumps already. And they want to learn more about it because they're eventually going to start leading for their friends. So they might as well go to the course first. By all means, you know, those are the kind of people we want. I love it. It really sounds like the minimum standard then for modern concepts is mindset. You need to come to the table ready to learn. You need to come to the table wanting to promote safety. And that, that from there, that is what it is. And you guys cater to whoever it is. Yeah. I mean, ideally, they're participating in the practice jumps where each uh, each participant uh, leads the jump themselves, and then we have a discussion based on you know what we how we felt about the jump afterwards, and uh, even use GPS data and things like that to kind of exemplify how difficult this is, frankly, and then all the different factors that uh, go into the jump itself. So, the, so I, ideally, they're getting to participate in that. But if their skill set doesn't allow it, or their experience doesn't allow it, uh, and they can still contribute to the course in other ways. Um, and be an active participant, then by all means, we, we want people like that. So you mentioned you hopefully get everybody to lead a jump. How long is this workshop in number of days? It's two days long. And how much of it's classroom versus how much of it is, is jump? One of the days is primarily classroom with, you know, usually two to three jumps. And then the other day is going to have a bit more with four to five jumps, uh, depending on how much time we've got. 
So a lot of your uh, theoretical early on with more practical after digestion. Exactly. Yeah, so. definitely. And how many coaches are involved? Would you say, are you guys called coaches with modern skydiving concepts, course directors? There's different words used for this application. Uh, I, I, Let's go with I, coach. I, I think instructor is what, okay, instructor? what uh, Sharon's been using, which makes a lot of sense to me. No, it makes total sense. Uh, how many instructors are there for modern skydiving right now for these it's, leaderships? It's just the creators, Sharon and Luis and, and then myself. Man, what, dude. That's just a, a place to put your name amongst, right? Isn't that like how I try not to? I certainly try not to look at it like that because that is like I'm so humbled to. And that's what I mean by something that with those two people. Um, but uh, yeah, it's been it's been pretty cool, and it's been pretty cool to have access to, uh, especially like Sharon and I have conversations all the time, and we uh, she's constantly trying to uh, build this program. She's innovating. Uh, her and Luis are, are creating new programs as we speak. Um, but even this program itself is continuing to grow, um, which is great. And it, if it wasn't, then it wouldn't be the right program because this entire skill set, this entire discipline is continuing to grow, you know, year by year. It's, it's our understanding of it is, is changing and getting better and we're being able to teach it and coach it, uh, so much better. Uh, the body flight methods necessary for it are, are, are getting, you know, more and more precise, um, so if the program wasn't evolving like that as well, then it wouldn't be, uh, it wouldn't be the right program. So I'm, uh, just really pleased to have access to people like that. I just caught myself belching on camera. I have been up to speed on camera <laughs> the entire night, but that one, I was like, Oh, oh crap. That well, didn't work. Man, you're doing a great job over at that seat. How does it feel over there? Man, you know, I'm where you and I are probably as current in this seat as we've been in about a year and a half, two years. Yeah. Uh, the, the, First time you were on the show, mm-hmm. by the way, September 2017, wow. uh, 21st, uh, was my first time producing the show. Uh-huh. I was lost AF over here. I remember that. Nick, and Justin was over there laughing. I loved it. <laughs> oh, my God. Justin really wanted to be here tonight, but uh, yesterday or today is his fiance's birthday. Cool. And last night was their uh, engagement party. So nice. he has had a very wonderful weekend. He's had a good time and he apologizes not for uh, for not making it. And then Elsa also wanted to be here, but she's just had a hectic, hectic weekend. No worries. So uh, sorry, guys. I, you got to <laughs> listen to Nick and I. You don't get to see those wonderful people. Um, yeah, no, Nick and I recently, we've been both in these seats a lot more and I'm actually starting to get comfortable with it. I'm starting to get back into the groove and it's, it's, it's kind of fun because it's different sitting here. I actually feel like I'm I have to stay engaged to talking to you more here mm-hmm. because I have so much going on sure. here that I'll quickly ignore you. So I actually feel more <laughs> in tune with the show here than I feel sitting over there where I would easily pick up my phone and text and eat cheese with Nick. So <laughs> Hey, I'm not texting. I'm logging into the Vimeo for Spaceland and getting the subscription going so I can upload that video tomorrow. <laughs> I didn't have that part on camera. I wasn't trying to throw you under the bus, but my sister has called me out more than once. I see you texting, and it's because she's texting me on the effing sure, show. You guys want some Biatch. cheese? D- that's, that's Mozzarella. A, it's a dumb question. It's good. It's a dumb question. Throw me one of them suckers. Left-handed. Uh, well, good, yeah. Good, th- no, th- good throwback catch. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Man, he's so Asian. <laughs> Here, let me catch with my left hand. All right, here we go. Third third time. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Over three with pass uh, interference. I will tell you right now, Jesse throwing that other piece of cheese at me at the same time had nothing to do with me missing. <laughs> I straight up missed no matter what. Um, 
uh, a lot of people will hear one day of, of a lot of classroom with only a couple jumps, and that can be intimidating because let's be real, nobody loves classroom. But I will say uh, I was really upset the other day when I walked into the classroom and saw you guys in there that I was so busy because I was like, man, I just want to be on the fly on the wall for probably 20, 30 minutes. I think you would have let me. Yeah. But in the in the short time I was in there just grabbing crap from my locker, I was listening. And lecture is a necessary way for some classrooms. But whenever you can do group workshops, guided uh, discussions, um, uh, uh, brainstorming activities, getting the people engaged and making the learning their idea, and that is exactly what you guys were doing, it was a lot of fun. Now, you had Nicole Black, Nick Sorrell. You, you had a gift of a group. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, I like the way you put it, guided discussions, because that's, that's definitely what's going on there. It's, it's not, not a lecture. It's a, it's a guided discussion with the, with the entire group. And that's why, for me, the course is, is so fun, because it's different every single time you, you, uh, you do it. It's going to be very much depending on who, who's there at the course. So uh, the, the people you just named... Um, that were there for the, for this uh, this one at Spaceland, you know. One of the fun parts for me was emphasizing to them that they are in a very exciting time um, to be getting into this this niche discipline of skydiving because I feel like it's one of the the last disciplines, uh, at least currently, that there's a lot of room for you know, growth and evolution and it's changing still year by year. I mean, maybe there's like XRW, they're still figuring stuff out and things like that. But, you know, you look at belly or free flying and, you know, that sort of stuff. It's, there's not a whole lot there that hasn't been done already or figured out to the nth degree. And we're getting to do that with angle flying as we speak. And so for people that I know so well, um, that were there at the course uh, to see them there and participating and expanding their their education about this style of flying was super exciting for me because you know I've seen angle flying change so much since I got into it, which wasn't that long ago, and I've seen how different it has been almost year to year sometimes that it's exciting to see people getting into it at this time and just being like. You're you're sneaking in there at just the right time where you can still be a part of something cutting edge in skydiving, you know, without, you know, giant leaps in technology and stuff like that. This may be one of the last body flight disciplines where we're still figuring stuff out so much at such a rate. And that's really exciting. And everybody in that room is part of that. They're part of that culture. They're part of that uh, development. And that's super, super cool. What I think is neat about that thought process is in the late 90s, skydiving or free flying was really starting to become something. I actually started jumping in the late 90s and I can remember competing in free flying. We had somebody had to come last. It was my team. And nationals did not have free flying yet. We competed for two years before it ever became an event in nationals and to watch how that evolved, watching wingsuiting being a thing before it ever became a national competition and watching evolve. And at some point, angle and movement disciplines are going to have some incorporation there. They already do with some free fly routines, but, but there's got to be something coming. But the difference is 
is when we were uh, when when free flying was becoming a bigger thing. When Olaf Zipser and and the the Flyboys and all these other homies were trying to figure out what to do, the foundation of education wasn't understood. How to be good communicators wasn't really understood in sports psychology and sport teaching and sport methodology. And as wingsuiting came up, they learned something. But you guys not only have this freaking killer fundamental foundation of body flight just the basics of body flight are known like we've never known it before but the fundamentals of education have been uh just the bars have been raised and watching what you guys are doing and when i say you guys i really mean the whole movement community but most particularly free fly uh, excuse me uh, fly for life cats uh sharon yourself uh, the, the group that you really uh, frequent what you guys are doing is, is phenomenal and i think it's awesome so keep it up dude Thank you very much. Has anyone coined the phrase "the movement movement"? Did I say that just no, now? No, <laughs> I mean you were you were close. Okay. Uh, the movement movement. I mean, uh, you get what I'm saying. Yeah, right? I don't mind it at all. Yeah. M M two. M two. Movement movement. <laughs> I like the movement movement. <laughs> oh no! Instantly ruined by a uh-huh. dad joke. <laughs> so now that we've forgotten about that good idea, you know that crash and burn quick. <laughs> um, so DJ mentioned something that I find interesting, and it's hard for me to imagine. Uh, free flying is a competitive discipline. It's like mm-hmm. you can I can see how that's a contest. Right. Can you imagine what uh, competitive movement skydiving might be like? Uh, Other than the artistic events? No, not really. Um, I mean, I could. I guess I could think of some things a little similar to what wingsuiting has been doing, like the grid. Yeah, the grid, and they're they're. You know, their acrobatic wingsuiting and things like that, where they're showing their precision of certain moves and transitions and things like that. So I, I suppose you could do some of that for angle flying. Um, but uh, gosh, I wouldn't want to see it. It would be such a restrictive way of taking this this discipline. You're trying to say that they're going to take away our freedom tax? Something like that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Freedom. Yeah. Fuck um, America. <laughs> I, I definitely. How much I, do you love America? Oh, I'm just uh, yeah, kidding. Of course what, I, what, what were you saying? Yeah, I mean, I thought that goes without saying, right? <laughs> His name is um, Tex. <laughs> um, I've taken things from the wingsuit competition side, though, for my own training. So some of the precision of their transitions. And things like that, I've incorporated into training style jumps for myself, mm-hmm. so I can see where there's some benefit to that. And I I enjoy competing, and the rigidity of competition with the rules does force you to be more precise with certain skills. Um, so I've enjoyed you know doing things in VFS for that reason and free flying. Um, in the tunnel, obviously, you know, a two-way dynamic, four-way dynamic. Um, I enjoyed those competitions because they required me to get better at certain particular skills. But for angle flying in general or movement flying in general, I, I would not want to see that really applied because I enjoy the the artistic side of uh, of this discipline and the the freedom it, it it gives you you know the the way you can create new lines in the sky and new ways to fly it and whether that's with a two-way or a 12-way like a looking to build you can start to do really really unique things in the sky um that would definitely be boxed in by competition 
however they would create that. I'm not sure. I look at I look at early free flight competition, and it still exists today. Three way artistic, mm-hmm. and that's all we had. And compulsories were were there, and and I it's it's sad to me because I really like three way artistic free flight. For me, it is my favorite discipline in nationals of, of all of them. I'm super impressed with VFS. To what what? But man, three way artistic, I love. And to me, the only way, at least in my vision, also in 1997, we didn't envision VFS being what it is today. Watching right. SDC core fucking just shred yeah. the sky, point, right? Point, 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 right, point, dude. point. Yeah. They, they turn points faster than I can count. Sure. But I, where do you go with that? That's the other uh, thing, too. Uh, you know, it's like SDC core is amazing, right? So a team beats them, the French team beats them or something like that. It's like, okay, so they beat them by like, like that that much you know that's what i mean of like i can respect how incredible that is that they're doing that and i know what skills are required but i would not want to see that happen to this discipline of flying somehow which i don't think it could to be honest with you um but i wouldn't want to see that applied because then the margins for growth and innovation become you know boxed into this yeah to this like this this competition drive you know um instead of the the artistic freedom side of it so but luckily i don't think it i don't think it can be to be honest with you i don't think it can be boxed in in that way it's i've never thought of it that way and that's that's super interesting point and it makes a lot of sense competition can be super healthy for growth but at the same time it can crush innovation Mm -hmm. because now we have to work inside of that box you said inside those parameters sure and the beautiful thing about movement flying is that I mean, just get with, go to a flight camp, be around 12 of these coaches and see how different each one of their styles is. Every single person there has got something unique about the way they fly, about the way they coach. Some of us may be a little bit more comparable. We may have more things in common. Um, And then some coaches may be very unique and may teach in a different way, may focus on different things. Um, may have a style that's completely their own, and yet it all works. It's all moving towards the same fundamentals and the same safety concepts. And to me, that's what's so badass about you know movement flying, angle flying, whatever you want to call it. Um, it's it's great. I love that. I love that there can still be a, you know your own unique signature and style to this kind of flying, and still be on the same page with the leaders in the sport in terms of safety concepts and, and fundamentals. One of the things you mentioned is Spaceland. It's, it's, we see tons of movement flight. To see three people moving or three groups moving on one load is absolutely normal. Right. It's not every load, but it's every day, no doubt about it. And across the sport, there's drop zones that don't see it at all still. How soon or do you see or how big do you see angle flying, movement, dynamic flying becoming in our community? Oh, I mean, I think it's I just look at all the new jumpers when they get in the sport. I mean, it tends to be what they what they gravitate towards. It's uh, it's it's very free. You know, they, there's a lot of different ways to get into it. You know, some people incorporate uh, the tunnel into that that uh, that direction. Other people really focus on more tracking type things in the sky. Um, there's just so many different ways to, to, uh, to get into that discipline and excel at it. You know, some people that can do certain more, you know, free fly specific type things in their repertoire of angle flying may have certain strengths. Whereas somebody that 
you know, really is super, super, super good at tracking and, and, you know, certain transitions and things like that, they have their own skill set and they can be equally as strong in this, this other way as somebody else. And I, I see it just getting very, very popular where it's probably going to be, you know, I, I would, I would think just as common as any other discipline out there, uh, even at smaller drop zones over the coming years. One of the things I've liked, and, and for the longest time, the only movement we had or the most common movement type of skydive we had was tracking. Mm-hmm. Uh, years ago, we called it flocking or atmanati. That's what we called it in the late 90s. Uh, it existed, but today I watch it, and it's a different name because it's a different generation, but it's also different. It's very tight. It's very close. But the thing I like about those jumps as a younger jumper and even as a more experienced jumper is you can cater to a little bit larger skill set all on one skydive. Hey, Jesse, Nick, you're tight. You're good. You're right here on point. You're right with me. Uh, DJ, you're in the back. You just sit back there and your job is to stay safe and stay with us. Uh, Where Tex, your job is to see how many times you can just do barrel rolls in front of me and not move. One of the most beautiful things I watch is watching you do a barrel roll while you're moving. You have a precision to it that, that... I just want to kiss you on the mouth. Oh, my God. <laughs> mouth hugs. Um, well, uh, thank you. Um, and then, just like you said, of it can cater to different skill sets. That is true. And also, that is very dependent on the skill set and experience of the leader who should be making a lot of those decisions as well, making those decisions whether the jump should happen in the first place. And then, if there is a way for that jump to happen, how is it the safest? How does it have the best chance of success? And then how to pass that on in the brief and then in the way you fly to to make that actually happen. So a lot goes into that. And that's where the leader takes on an exponentially larger role on a jump than the other disciplines do. Where yeah. just an organizer just putting coming up with a jump plan itself may be the end of their responsibility more or less. Whereas for uh, an angle flying leader, it begins all the way on the ground to deciding that plan to understanding all these different outside variables that determine that plan and then how to execute it in the sky in a way that is skillful um, and necessary for that skill set they're flying with. That's a, that's a big task. It is uh, definitely the one that can accommodate some of the most diverse skill sets, but as you say, it's also got the most danger because of it. It can be done well, it can be done safely, but it is on the leader. Sure. So let's go back to that leader, that leading workshop. How do people find out about it? How do people start attending it? What what can people do to get involved with modern skydiving concepts? Uh, they have a they have a page on Facebook that you can follow where we've been trying to post uh, the events, and then as well, I post it on uh, any any of the events that I'm. I'm an instructor for, I post on my own personal coaching page, which is tech skydiving and wind tunnel coaching on Facebook. And where are all these workshops ha- happening lately? I'm sure to land some of them. Sure. Um, Sharon's even been doing courses online lately, which is great. So a little bit more accessible for some people that can't get out to the drop zone. Um, I've recently done them in, uh, uh, here at Spaceland and Elsinore and the land. And I'm looking to do more here because there's quite a bit of interest, which is really exciting that I can continue doing these uh, here in Houston on a regular basis, it seems like. And um, yeah, in the future, I'll probably start to uh, take it around the United States. And then uh, if, if we go back to Europe anytime soon, then uh, likely I'll be doing a leading workshop either before or after some of the events there. 
Sounds sounds like you're looking to build. I was just gonna make a shameless plug about that video. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I want I want to take it back to something that we just just briefly touched on. DJ was talking about uh, getting nervous before things started on on safety day, and I uh, I feel like I'm gonna do better with this if I just tell people that it's been happening. Uh-huh. But man, I've been getting like panic attack level nervous teaching tandem classes, and I don't know huh. where this started. Like Saturday morning, I addressed all of the jump staff, these 20-some people who, uh, you know, it's my responsibility to be a leader for them about how we're, you know, doing things for the day. And, hey, I'm going to tell you this about the weather, and I'm going to tell you this about, you know, whatever. And that was really easy for me, like talking to that group of people who I know, who most, uh, many of them have greater skill sets on what it is they specialize in, like AFF instructors and tandem instructors then they have more information about those things than I do by a lot. Right. And I still have to be a leader to those people. And then I go upstairs and I take these four strangers to a tandem class. And I think part of it is the combination of wearing a mask up the stairs, right. becoming short of breath, and then getting in my head about like, man, I'm going to run out of breath talking to these people. And then they're just going to be sitting here watching me struggle like I'm an old man who can't breathe. <laughs> and then they're going to think I got the Rona and now I'm in big trouble. And so these, these thoughts spool up in my head and I have to really consciously calm myself down to get through teaching the same tandem class that I have taught hundreds of times. Sure. I, I could say right now, verbatim, exactly the same words that I said in the last tandem class, even without the boards here. Like I could do it everything in the exact order with all the same words. And uh, I think that man, I get I get nervous. So I wanted to uh, hear about what makes Tex nervous. What makes me nervous. Yeah. I was going to address that because it sounded real familiar to when I would teach a uh, first timer class at the tunnel back mm-hmm. when I worked at the tunnel. Um, I mean, seven years of teaching the same class, I could do it verbatim as well, right? And then I noticed sometimes that I would have a, a similar feeling almost because I felt like I was dozing off during the presentation or something mm-hmm. like that. No matter how like good my 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 actual energy was for those people in my own, the voice in my own head could get so loud sometimes while I was oh, talking man. to the group because that is such a great way to describe. Yeah. It. Because it's like, I'm, I'm just going on autopilot here. I've said all these things so many times. I, I know I can't screw it up somehow that then I almost like am making myself feel like maybe you are going to screw it up almost because I'm so bored or something like just to snap myself out of being on autopilot or just like worrying that I'm going to say something stupid because I'm just completely not there. I'm in another place in my own head while I'm speaking to these strangers who are looking at me. You know, Um, I was always worried. I was just going to say something like just Tourette's like because I'd be so on autopilot. Don't do this to me or you. (laughs) Yes. Exactly. (laughs) That I would just, you know, I'd be sitting there just uh, and leg straight is going to be the primary thing I want you to focus on and fat, uh, you know, (laughs) it just something was going to just come out of my mouth. Exactly. And I was just going to, you know, be caught on my uh, on myself just going like, well, uh, there's a giant person in the front row and I just blurted out fat like for no reason in the middle of a sentence mad lib style mm. like there's really no there's no recovering from this yeah and so start I would have some big deep breaths yeah so I'd have this like panic <laughs> moment in my own head that I'm creating teaching this five minute class you know or less five minute class that I've done a million times that I could do on autopilot just because I think I'm so zoned out that maybe I'm just gonna blurt something out 
I get it. Maybe that's I it. Feel, I don't know. No, Maybe that's what, part and, of it. And what you're describing is like, if I can be actually present with the information that I'm talking about, mm-hmm. that seems to prevent it from happening. Totally. And then when I start my class with a different sort of uh, banter or chit chat than what I normally would start with, right. that stops the whole thing in its <laughs> tracks. But it's like when I get up there and it's like... Like I hear my dude, I, I look at my Fitbit all the time, see what my heart's doing. I'm oh like, okay, seventy, I'm gonna be all right. I'm not gonna mess this one up. And I walk up, I'm at the top of the stairs, and it's like 106, and I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm gonna be a mess. I'm gonna be a mess right now. Yeah, but uh, that's good advice of uh, tr- trying to to not be on autopilot. I think that seems to help. Yeah, without a doubt. I think recently, what's been getting me, uh, I have felt it. Uh, pretty big time when I started flying a, a camera pretty recently and the pressure to perform in this this way that I have zero experience essentially with um, flying with an actual camera on my head. Don't forget to take off that lens cap. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So for instance, just adding anything which happened at looking to build when I jumped a camera for the first time. I forgot to take the lens cap off. Nailed it. Got a good picture. of it. Uh-huh. I've done the same. And uh, so like these these really basic things of just adding one or two variables to my skydive all of a sudden i'm like whoa i'm feeling out of sorts here you know or i've got not gear fear but just something else to think about you know that's outside of my normal routine and definitely that's uh that's kept me on my toes pretty recently uh i jumped a camera for a day at an event in oceanside last month and then I've been wearing it quite a bit on my training jumps with Alethea and, and our group of friends uh, when they do training days and just putting pressure on myself to get a certain shot, you know, whether it's video or, or some still shots, just putting pressure on myself like that's the shot I want. I want it from that angle. I want to put myself there. And all of a sudden, you know, feeling like, all right, damn, I haven't felt this way on a jump in, in quite a while. And the, the sense of letdown I'm feeling when it doesn't go, if it doesn't go the way I envisioned it to go you know or i felt like a i should be able to do that thing so it's been it's been really good but definitely i've been having those feelings uh i'm just feeling a little bit out of my comfort zone recently what sort of camera helmet did you go with a tone fly which one do you the, know what the, the 2.5 nice that's a good they make really nice camera helmets god they do it's crazy they just like when you hold those things you look at the quality it's ridiculous have you seen the tfx's that's the full face? Uh-huh. Yeah. They're full face. It's it's ridiculous. You look on the inside, it's like the leather and stuff on, on the inside. It's so customized, it's crazy. What do you think has led the uh revolution from full face helmets back to open face helmets? Um I think well, it's just a it's a personal choice thing. Um for me, it's primarily that it's well, I like the way it feels. I'm and you gonna, like the way I'm your mustache looks in the wind. <laughs> I'm not going. I'm not going to lie. Now that I've worn an open face for quite a while, it, it would just be so difficult for me to imagine jumping without it in the sky. Because um, I just, yeah, I get so much out of that that uh, sensation. Even the pressure I'm feeling on my face and stuff tells me a lot about the pitch and speed I'm going. And yeah, I just, uh, I, I really enjoy it. But primarily, what got me to do it in the first place is it's, it's better for coaching. It's without a doubt better for coaching, especially a face like mine, which isn't the most expressive besides maybe, you know, neutral. Um, like it's really important that that people can see my entire face because you can you 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 can uh, be that maestro in the sky as a leader. If you can really 
uh, draw people in and use your body language and your facial expressions to calm them down or get them to focus on a certain thing or communicate certain things in the sky. So mm-hmm. the open face to me is pretty essential for it, the coaching. It is kind of hard to see your mouth when it's hidden under that uh, the piece from the bottom of the helmet exactly. sandwich between that and your little face caterpillar there. Sure. And then, you know, the I, like, broom. I like uh, <laughs> cookie I like, duster. <laughs> you know, I like wearing sunglasses of some sort in the sky because it's it's so freaking Flavor bright saver. so if you, you can't you can't see my eyes and you can't see mouth my mouth. mouth it's like what are you gonna see oh my god i tap uh, good because i didn't have any other I, I was out uh. <laughs> just like i'm being serious over here yeah you know, make fun try and my, say try and say some real shit my man pillar no <laughs> I forget I got this thing sometimes. Dude, it's good looking. Sometimes I just, like I walk past a mirror or some reflection. I'm like, the hell? Like I forget how long my hair is or how much facial hair I have or something. Y'all, y'all ever have that? I forget how bald I am until I take my hat off. There you go. So, you yeah. know so that that kind of like you just see yourself. You're like, huh? Oh, that's what I look like. Yeah. Huh. When I trim my beard before COVID, it was always bushy. Right. Since COVID with masks, I have to keep it trimmed up and. For the first probably three, four weeks, I have it trimmed up. I look go by the mirror. I'm like, who the fuck's in my house, man? What's, what's <laughs> right. the guy doing here? Definitely. I've had that a few times. The description uh, the description, the description for this is, uh, we will move into angle flight, see what we did there, want to learn, blah, 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 tune in and learn more about their leading workshop while enjoying some great laughs with the sexiest mustache in the sport. Mm. Mm. Well, that's a big call right there. That's a big mustache, son. <laughs> that's a big one. Just before we totally leave the uh, movement conversation, and start wrapping it up, which I'm sure we're getting close to. Uh, the difference between tracking and angle flying, when uh, when you hear the those no, two no. different words, the, are are those interchangeable in your Absolutely mind? Absolutely, they're interchangeable. Yeah, that for sure. I mean, that's what an angle jump is. You're tracking. You're tracking at yeah. a steeper angle. I get I, that. I think the I think the reason angle flying has become, you know, popular and and kind of the go to, which I would agree with, is simply because, you know. Angle flying is not just referring to the pitch, right? It's also referring to uh, that that turning axis as well. So you've got when I think tracking, I'm thinking more of a straight line at some sort of pitch. But angle flying is gonna, you know, it's gonna vary between pitch. It's gonna vary between the the turn. It's gonna vary between the roll, excuse me, and uh, the uh, the speed. Um and nah not so nah. not so much y'all oh yeah I was just thinking more more <laughs> of the to, yeah. more of the roll axis like okay. you said yeah and then the pitch up and down and then your speed so there's just angle I think just kind of incorporates more of those you know in that one term kind of incorporates more of those ideas so it's you kind of have a sense when someone says an angle jump maybe the difference between that and a, a straight line kind of tracking jump. I love, so we back to what we used to call it, flocking or Atmanadi, and then mm-hmm. it was tracking, and they were separated, and, and they were always separated. And, man, it's been quite a few years uh, now than I first heard somebody say angle is, or tracking is an angle flight. And in my brain, I immediately was like, no, that's wrong. That's broken. I didn't say it, but I, I digested the conversation. And they never presented this side to me, but this made sense to me suddenly. If I can convince DJ Marvin, the kid with 200 jumps, that while he's tracking, he is moving, he's on an angle jump, now we've set the foundation for the more dynamic angle jumps. We're, we're categorizing them to give you – tracking is a fundamental baseline portion of angle flying. Yeah, I mean, without a doubt, that's the fundamental of it because yeah. you're moving. Um, 
but I like what you said there because that's definitely the direction we've been going in terms of using the the term movement more often than not uh, than even angle flying. So I think I think in the new sim now it's like angle flying and movement flying are, are kind of uh, joined as one one term more or less. And um, because we want to we want to promote the idea that call it whatever you want, you're moving. And when you begin to move very much on a jump, then you're you have to begin to move off of the line of flight to respect the other groups that are going straight down. And so if we think of it like that, then we don't get caught up on, well, it was a tracking jump, not an angle jump. It's like, well, were, were you moving the, the majority of the jump? Were you was it important that you move to a certain area that was safe to open up in that you can make it back? That you weren't going to interfere with other groups, things like that, and so the term movement encapsulates that a little bit better, I believe. Birdsaren'tReal.com, by the way, mm-hmm. if you've never seen it. it is oh my god, I'm going to be the next follower. Can they? Will they take my money? Um, it's probably. Can I make a donation? Probably free shipping and sticker with every activism gear order. You can buy their swag for sure. Activism gear. Yeah, <laughs> I need that in my yeah. life. Uh-huh. My, I became aware of That's this not movement. A bullshit term at all. Because somebody posted a Channel Three interview of this kid talking about the birds aren't real, and basically the kid is burnt out. If this kid is not a burnt out stoner and wasn't high as fuck during his news interview, then I have the longest hair in the world. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty funny. At some point, the reporter's like, ah, "Oh, you're being satirical. You're being funny, right?" And he gets offended. He get, it gets butt hurt. So. Uh, uh, real.com uh, pretty disturbing yeah that's a weird lots level of, of delusion yeah what about aliens are real.com what do you think mm. about that website what about is aliens? that real yeah what about them uh what do you want to know uh question one <laughs> do does intelligent life exist in other places in the universe i think yeah it's got to right yeah with the with an unimaginable number of it's, stars and it's planets it's impossible for me to imagine that it doesn't great do they come to earth Hmm. Do they come to or or have they ever or let's start with uh have they ever sent a craft or otherwise uh technology manufactured on another heavenly body to this planet? I just don't know, but I'm open to the idea of it. I I just yeah, I don't know. So many interesting like concepts that are similar to our modern like guess at what aliens would be like when you go back to ancient times, right? You look at uh, ancient cultures that have like envisioned our idea of aliens now um, all the way back then. Was there something to that or is that just some sort of, you know, yeah, is that just a place universal? the human imagination yeah. goes? Yeah. I don't know. I'm interested or, in it. Or did they see him first? <laughs> I'm, uh, do they I'm do curious. anal probes? Well, I mean, without a doubt. Oh, my God. I don't even have to know anything I, else. I know I've brought this movie up uh, on the podcast before, Fire in the Sky. Did you ever see that movie? I am familiar with it. I have not seen it. So, short version of the story, this guy who is uh, among a, a company of loggers mm-hmm. gets uh, abducted. Mm-hmm. Gets uh, And his friends see it happen. They all pass polygraph tests saying that this is what I they saw. I have seen this movie, yep. And uh, that guy was recently on Joe Rogan's podcast yep. Yep, and talked about the non... Uh, you know, Hollywoodized uh, right. account, his his account of the story, which uh, terrified me more. And like that movie ruined my childhood. Mm. Like I was sure every night when I went to bed, that was the night they were coming to get me. Right. And I fell asleep to that thought for several years. Uh-huh. 
and uh, but the way that he talks about it makes them seem less threatening, like that they uh, may have uh, harmed him by mistake, and that they uh, were caring for him so that they could return him home. Not that they kidnapped, like that they assaulted him and kidnapped him, and you know the the, <laughs> the movie makes it seem real scary. Mm-hmm. But uh, the uh, his account of it made them seem a lot more friendly. And like they would behave uh, a way that I would hope that strange creatures with uh, more technology from another planet would would behave. Elon Musk has got some fun, you know, conversations on on aliens and stuff like that. It's, he's one to uh, worth listening to uh, when it comes to aliens. I talk. guess I don't know his. He's pretty. On he's pretty dubious of like their interaction with us currently, or you know, in a a real influential way in the past mm-hmm. but he does have some interesting ideas in the same way S- Stephen Hawking uh Stephen Hawkins had some interesting ideas of aliens of you know do we do we want them to find us you know if they do exist because it or is it just going to be like you know opening your you know closet door and a cockroach running out and just being like oh there's a cockroach you know is that there we don't we don't know what their their interaction with us could and would be yeah, like. I guess the word humane doesn't mean uh, very much to them. Right? No, exactly. <laughs> right. So it's, it's some interesting uh, rabbit holes that go down there for sure. Well, I think uh, I think they've at least sent crafts here. That's my official stance. Man, did you hear about that recent one? No. Nope. Like, it was like 2016. It was like the cigar uh, UFO. Forget the name oh, of it. Oh, uh, Lieutenant Fravor, this guy, the Tic Tac thing. No, that was a, that's another one which is fantastically interesting, <laughs> like crazy. Uh, but this is this object went through um, our solar system. I think it was in 2016, and they're just like a lot of the leading scientists that have studied it are pretty pretty damn sure that it was some sort of extraterrestrial, you know, craft that's of some awesome. sort. I just want them to it, show it up. Like a, it was like a metallic sort of object and it was in this shape that you know nothing else is like and it moved through our solar system in some super bizarre way that didn't make sense and they picked it up on it and they've been studying it i have heard about this pretty and the the way that it uh i think decelerated was a a Mm -hmm. big thing that tipped them off that it wasn't uh you know an asteroid and it's it's like uh it's it's makeup it was like some sort of strange metallic thing floating through the floating through the solar system at this gigantic size that, you know, was like super skinny and flat and unlike anything else um, recorded. It was it's pretty interesting stuff. I just want aliens to land here and be like, yeah, we exist. We're going to be out there because man, you I guys thought, are crazy. Peace. I thought 2020 was going to be the year. I was, man, I was like, if we don't get some aliens in this year, then am I going to have to wait a lifetime here? Yeah, I have mixed feelings about, um, like, whether alien like whether the government knows more about aliens than anybody else does without a doubt yeah but (laughs) to me it seems like so one one thing that i always come back to of like dude i have a if something crazy starts happening i'm gonna have it on video in three seconds from the moment it starts happening Mm -hmm. and i don't feel like our ability to capture ufo and alien sightings like i don't feel like that the amount of content has grown in an equivalent way to our ability to capture that stuff, right? That could be the problem. I mean, you, are you familiar with the Bob Lazar story? Yeah, I listened to. It. I, saw, I saw the documentary yeah, on Netflix. You know, and then there's that's being corroborated now by by other people that are starting to come out too that have been uh, exposed to some of that technology. And the technology is basically they know it exists, but 
were at some level of stunted, you know, intellectual abilities to be able to understand it at this time. So we know that it exists. You know, we may have a physical thing here or there that is uh, is proof and evidence that we're trying to reverse engineer, but it's just impossible at our level of understanding at the moment, which is pretty pretty damn fascinating. Yeah, I mean, we could, we could give a monkey a cell phone and their inability to understand it wouldn't mean that the cell phone doesn't work exactly how it's supposed to work. So right? That's a pretty good way of putting it. But, uh, yeah. but still, I just feel like, uh, I mean, if I was going to go somewhere new, Mm-hmm. I would, I guess, I would like. Hey, uh, take me to the manager. I want to talk to the person who's in charge, so I can get that if an alien civilization was able to understand the structure and hierarchy of the way that governments and you know civilizations set up. Sure, they'd probably want to talk to the person in charge, but maybe, or maybe they're just looking at all of Earth as some sort of you know ecosystem where there's not necessarily even that hierarchy built in I don't know we'd still look for the queen in a beehive right yeah perhaps yeah or we'd burn the ants with a magnifying glass there you go yeah, that yeah, is there's, true there's that well said yeah I mean really we, we could look like a bunch of ants running around like a bunch of morons and honestly watch us on a drop zone we look like a bunch of morons running around <laughs> and our there's definitely some human activities that would not make a lot of sense uh man <laughs> <laughs> morning routines alone just saying. yeah <laughs> do you feel like you've seen a, a UFO or anything uh, from out of this world? Uh, no. Never? No. Be, I, saw this I would girl be excited to tell you about it day. if I had, for sure. Dude, yeah. yeah, man, I really wish I've seen something just so I could satiate that unknown desire in my brain because I think all of us would agree with the simple statement that the universe, the multiverse, everything is way too vast for there not to be something else out there. And how naive of me to think that we are the only intellectual being out there and I need to satiate that. Like, man, it, there, there's got to be something. Yeah, there's got to be. It's far too interesting to not wonder about it. So, bug-eyed, funny-looking alien people come down and say, "What's up?" <laughs> and if Charlie Saren's an alien, I want an anal. Pr- Wait a minute, hold on a second. That's hey, a long conversation. Hey, we're about to wrap up. It always gets going a little bit quickly. Uh, as we wrap up, uh, I do want to go kind of some last little bit. Um, COVID, fuck COVID. Uh, has had some blessings. And one of my favorite things about COVID is I have not got to see you so much in the last few years. And COVID has really brought back the small community. I, I work with a lot of different uh, companies in skydiving and, and I get to work with a lot of different countries said and done. And so many of our coaches and so many of our organizers have been promoting what they do in their local communities. And it's been really cool to see you do the same. Um, I hate this next question. When are you getting back on the road? Cause I want you here. Yeah. I mean, I, I want to be here. So it's been it's been a blessing for me in that sense too, where uh, the year prior to COVID was my busiest ever travel year. And while it was absolutely fantastic and the life experiences I got from it were um, just something I just absolutely would not trade, it wasn't a pace uh, that I necessarily wanted to keep up with the traveling. I wanted to get to a point in my career where my traveling represented an extension of not just good things for my career, uh, but also great life experiences and and just interesting, unique opportunities that I got to select. I got to be more selective with instead of just saying like, you know, oh, I'm already in in this side of the world, so I'll just take I'll take whatever is coming up that next weekend. And I wanted to be more selective with my travel in that way. And I think COVID really demanded that of me, and uh, it, it's really it's made it very very clear to me that one of my favorite places in the world is 
is here at Spaceland Houston, and it's the place that I've invested the the most of myself into, and I'm not willing to just drop that uh, and and travel nonstop. So I think this year and going forward, I, I really want to have a really good balance of spending quite a bit of time here and uh, getting to do most of my work and coaching and and uh, participating in the community as a, at, at large, primarily here at Houston, and then uh, you know still traveling quite a bit, but being very selective on the events and places that I travel to and, and for the, you know, whatever duration so that I have a nice balance in my life between those two things. I hate COVID, but I'm glad to see you back around so much more. And I'm glad to see that so much of the community, not just you and not just us, but I hear this all over the world that jumpers are learning that man, all as much as, as much fun as this travel has been is reaching out and being able to help so many people has been, so many people are getting back to their roots and getting back to that home structure. And the balance that I think is going to come out of COVID is, is going to be pretty awesome, man. If you used it the right way, for sure. Yeah. yeah some people, it, it uh, was, I mean, I, I understand some people it's extremely devastating. Um, but for, for those of us that were fortunate enough with uh, the chance to turn it into an opportunity or look at it that way, um, you know, hopefully you did. If you didn't, then uh, it's kind of on you. Anything else you want to share with your friends and family watching this before or tuning in before we get out? Nope. It's been a good time with y'all. And uh, check out Nick's looking to build four Man, video. Check out, out how cool I all my friends look. So, That's what I want to tell the world. So stoked. Yeah. And I'm so, uh, so excited to see the uh, response it gets. I have one last thing I want to share with the crowd. And re- or no, 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 no. Nick, did you know we had a show on February 9th? You weren't here. Who? You never knew about it. So down the rabbit hole is actually a extension of Gravity Lab Radio. If you've not heard about oh, it. Oh, okay. Rabbit's doing his thing. Rabbit has been bugging me and bugging me about how he starts his own podcast. And he, I've given him all the advice and everything he needs to know. And he just keeps not doing it. And after he was on our show on February 4th, I gave him a call the next day. Look, you want to do a show? Yes. You want to do it? Yes. You want to? Yes. Cool. Here's your problem. You don't have the equipment. You don't have the initiative. Uh, I'm like, own it. You know, he's like, yeah, no, I'm good. Cool. I will produce. I will host your show. We'll make a part of Gravity Lab Radio since it's all in place. I sit behind the producer's desk. I, his first show, I was sitting here doing uh, spreadsheet stuff and, and finances for the company. So I, I'm really just behind the desk and letting him do the show. Did he have a guest or did he just go? At, did no, he, just, he just went. Adam Chamberlain. So down the rabbit hole, he's trying to find, in some cases, our old guest and kind of diving down deeper into the rabbit hole to some of their conversations. So it's the rabbit hole slash sloppy second. Oh, <laughs> loving it, man. And uh, Rabbit, I love you. It's a joke. I'm sorry. I can't help myself. Something that we've not revealed yet, something that is going to be coming down the pipeline <laughs> soon, something that all of That's you hilarious. might get to see one day is uh, Down the Rabbit Hole is a, uh, is a spinoff of Gravity Lab Radio. You'll see Gravity Lab Radio episode 163 or 164 with Jesse Tex Leos, but they'll be named Down the Rabbit Hole number one. Adam Chamberlain. Watch for him. Keep an eye out for him. They are out there. They're a good time. Um, oddly man, enough, shout out to Option Studios, man. That thing is that thing is great. Such it a is. good play on the logo. Oh yeah. Oh man, I I called Adam up. I said, look, I need bunny ears and buck teeth on on Monty. And he said, well, let's invert the logo. If you look, he's standing over a little hole, so he's out the rabbit or going down the rabbit hole. So Adam is just a, an, an effing genius, man. Yeah, he crushed that's great. it. So one last peek for those of you who watch the stream. Um, how do I do that? Peek. There you go. You had it. Uh, Mr. P, 
That's it, man. Jesse, it's good to have you here. Yeah, that was a good time. Thanks, y'all. Yeah, I, I mean, here on the show and here in town. Yeah, definitely. Come and make me a better skydiver. I need you. Freaking A. Yeah. I would like to do a project with you at some point, and I think okay. I would probably need the cooperation with uh, the folks from Modern uh, Concepts. It's, it's up to you guys. But we do. We have a lot of fun producing this show, but mm-hmm. what I would like to do is produce a little bit more content, giving people those 20-minute seminars on topics. Cool. So some point when you're in town, let's sit, let's talk, let's chat about having you come in here and just put together some recordings about how to present a piece of information. Um, definitely use it to promote what you guys are doing, and, and uh, you guys are doing a great thing. So let, cool. let's talk about that off the air. Let's yeah, see what we can do. Yeah, it sounds fun. I, it's we were blessed to be able to affect our sport. So right on. So guys and gals, sorry about a weird night. Sorry about a weird timing. But this is the only time that we could make all our schedules work. Uh, Jesse, thank you so much, brother. You uh, you inspire me. I have mad respect for you. Um, as much as I like to tease and poke at you, uh, dude, I absolute adoration for you, my man. Oh, I love being here. Yeah. Thanks, y'all. Love you, brother. Yeah, Play that funky sweet. music, brown man. Yeah. I'm yeller just to make it uh, <laughs> Go clear. time. I am yeller. <laughs> Oh my god, I'm gonna start yelling go time at you more often. Oh, it was great. I was doing it as a count. Ready, set, go time. Ready, set, go time. Oh my god, that's gonna (laughs) take hold. That's gonna take hold. That's what I think I love the most about flying a full face helmet. Is I get to hear all the weird shit, like the noises I didn't realize I was making. I've been around some impressive people that can. They're yelling so loud, you're hearing it on their GoPro afterwards. And Sam Lendl. Sam Lendl. Yeah, dude, he Uh does it. I'm impressed when a man can maintain a count while somebody's fondling his nutsack. I've been the uh, deliverer and recipient <laughs> of that move. I've been the deliverer. Somebody else has been the recipient. Mm. Jesse? And with that, see you all, see you all later. <laughs> <laughs>